This is the Criterion Creeps Podcast. I'm Jarrett Duncan. RJ Baylog. And we're just two guys who have no other choice now but to creep our way through the Criterion Collection one spine number at a time in order of release. This week, we're tackling spine number 13, Unlucky 13, in the Criterion Collection, Silence of the Lambs, directed by Jonathan Demme from 1991. But first, RJ, how are you? Uh, I'm all right, man. I'm all right. I, uh... I don't really have any fun stories for you this week. Aww. No, uh, no fat bastards with barbecue sauce, and uh, no crazy ladies with honey and their coffee. But uh, you haven't been I've trying been hard busy, enough, you know. So I don't have I don't have anything cool for you. Not right now, at least. Aww. How are you doing? Uh doing good. It's the weekend, you know. Um, just got back from the grocery store, and uh, as we were uh, waiting in line to pay, uh, this kind of i don't know soccer mom type she uh kind of was like came up behind us in line and she started making some comments about uh brangelina and i think Uh, she just kind of announced like to the cashier and to chanel like something like 10 million dollars i don't know i I wasn't really paying attention to this and then chanel like was like really trying not to just burst out laughing at mm -hmm. just like how little she gives a shit about this like story or anything or what this woman seems to care about or what she thinks other women should care about so I don't Did know. you hit this woman? Uh no, that's not my place to hit women, RJ. Oh, you you just put her in a hole for uh, other people, for more able people like me to deal with. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Well, that sounds horrible. Um, I think people are going to talk about it for a long time. But we we got it. We jumped on that as soon as it happened. So I think we we beat the rush. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. <laughs> yeah. So you heard it here first, folks. Woo, yeah. Um, Woo. Yeah, no. And then I came home and put groceries away and uh, pet my cat. And... Did your cat get into the groceries? Sorry? Did your cat get into the groceries? Uh, no, no. He just uh, got excited by the door being open and kind of like sniffed the fresh air as we were kind of coming and going. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, he was not. he's not allowed outdoors. He is a prisoner. Yeah, like all good cats. Yeah. Confined to the inside, Mm -hmm. tempted by the outside world. Say, RJ. Yo. We got another piece of listener email. What? Yeah. From a friend of the show, Oliver? No, a new new entrant in the known Criterion listeners. Uh, So this is from one Joshua Frazier, who's based out of South Africa. And like, RJ, I'm starting to... Uh, detect a trend it's like is it too soon to declare criterion creeps a global phenomenon no i've been saying that since before we started well there you go uh we have a uh, tight connections with uh my my people in china the people's republic of china we're we're about to take off there you'll see nice uh well uh joshua he uh kept it nice short and sweet he just says i love the show so far guys there's finally an excuse for me to watch all the criterion films in order as i'm going along with you wish you the best of luck for the future regards Hey, that's nice. Yeah. Hey, if if anything, if this promotes anything, it'll just be people rewatching these movies as well. Oh yeah, and, no. Uh, I think it's really cool. I mean, like, I I think like anyone that like kind of like is attracted to those spine numbers or like has been buying mm-hmm. these Criterion films and like it's like kind of like I really want to do that. I mean, mm-hmm. if a podcast is the thing that kicks that loose and gets people watching, that is really really cool. Well, I, that's why we're basically doing the podcast mm-hmm. as an excuse for us to do that very thing. So, exactly. yeah. Well, that was a cool email. Yeah. yeah. Thanks out to that guy. I think I recognize him from uh, the letterbox. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, that's uh, nice to know someone's following along 
keeping pace with us. Yeah, no, I just saw, I think he uh, shared some love for uh, the Blair Witch Project, which is mm. good because I get angry when I see people don't love the Blair Witch Project. It makes me yeah. really mad. <laughs> I feel like those people are mostly just like naive and... I don't know what they I don't were. know. I don't know. What do you want? Like, if you... I think if that movie, like, if you go into it, just kind of open and just taking it as it is, like, it's it's perfect or it's great. Like, it's a great little piece of horror cinema history you know yeah you my, just gotta wait till you're home alone one night watch it in the dark and just believe it that's all yeah no that's uh that movie has a very special place in my heart but maybe we'll discuss that at a later point since it is october soon rj Ooh, that's correct yeah that's correct we might have some things on the go for uh creeptober mayhaps mayhaps <laughs> Um, well, I don't know. It hasn't been that long since we recorded last, but have you managed to, uh, been successful in any creeping viewing? I did. I did a lot of creeping, um, more than average. I guess it was the weekend. So I, uh, worked most of the day and then I was able to fit in one or two, uh, on the, the nights. So I got some creeping for you, Jer. Let's hear it. So first off, uh, I creeped on something pretty special for the show here. I think this is our first alien creeping. I could be wrong. I could have brought it up before, but uh, I don't know if I've mentioned before, but I fucking love aliens. I love them. I am mm-hmm. uh, a total conspiracy theorist. I, I think that shit is real. You come talk to me any day you want, and I can explain to you in a, a five-point presentation of why they do they're out there and, and all that. Anyways. Well, you're a man of science. You just look at the facts. Yeah. yeah. I, I look at the facts, man. Uh, that's all it is. Uh, I, I've been studying the brain for a couple of years now, and, uh, there's some things there that aren't, uh, exactly as they seem. So, I, or as they say, as they say, big, know, the truth is out there. Big science. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, anyways, so I watched this movie, uh, under the recommendation of Jarrett Fillmore Duncan. It was a five-star recommendation, I believe called, uh, the Montauk Chronicles. <laughs> Are you, you, you watched it and gave it five stars, right? Uh, I haven't watched it yet. And I don't know if I recommended it, but I, I did pass it along as uh, something that would be in your wheelhouse, being the resident uh, fucking loving it, lover of aliens. That's yeah. correct. Yeah. That is correct. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so, I watched that. So, what do you have to as, report back about it? Uh, bait and switch. Oh. Uh, so, there's an alien on the fucking poster. And yes. then it starts out. And uh, there is an alien abduction scene about 15 minutes in. And then the rest of them, they never mention aliens again. Uh, the rest is all yeah it was a total like it was a total bait and switch like um because like based on the poster and then like the yeah. uh the readout of like the little synopsis on letterbox i thought yeah. it was totally like an alien conspiracy thing but it was all about uh mk ultra and like uh the montauk project in uh the east united states there where they um basically like the idea is that in like the late 70s 80s um the government was like kidnapping kids and basically doing the mk ultra experiments on them like just torturing them giving them like hallucinogenic drugs and trying to get them to do like telepathy and astral projections and stuff like that so the like the only reason i think it even had an alien on it was because one of the guys they interviewed they have three three main people two guys who say they worked there yeah. And then one guy who says he was a subject there and the guy who says he was a subject there also believes that when he was younger, he was abducted by aliens a lot of times. And he feels like that's why he was put into the Montauk project. So like you hear his story um, and he like 
he tells about an abduction scene and then that's it. It's gone. And then it goes to the MK Ultra stuff. So this I think that's basically what the movie's about. Um I I had a really hard time like trying to wrap my head around whether it was like a competently done documentary about like a pretty far out there concept or if it was just like really pretentious art house garbage um i i still don't know so like i'm I'm really like in the middle there um maybe someone else can watch it and give me their opinion but like it had some really nice shots um like it was pretty well put together and then the the director takes a lot of liberties in uh, reenactments, and I think that's where like the kind of art housey stuff comes in. I, I put a picture on the Instagram of a uh, Nazi ghoul nurse that uh, did some drugging during the torture scenes. That was kind of cool, but then it falls into like that weird territory where you know there's like an eyeball eyeball close up and it's blinking different colors, like mm-hmm. just very stolen from. 2001 type stuff and a lot of a lot of strobe lights and a lot of neon and stuff like that so um my girlfriend came home like when i was halfway into it and uh it was like flashing and she's like oh like she just kind of like blinked her eyes really uncomfortably she's like what the fuck are you watching uh she called it a piece of shit so (laughs) but uh, she's not as open well actually um she she watches a lot of alien stuff with me so uh she is down with the aliens um, so I guess, I guess it was a piece of shit maybe, but th- there were some, there were some good things. Like I thought it was like, it was pretty well shot and mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, I love conspiracy theory shit anyways. So it caught my, it had my attention for a while, yeah. but it feels like it's like super long. Like I was watching it and I was like, Jesus Christ. I was like, there's gotta be like five minutes left. And there was like 48 and I was like, Ugh. so I don't know. Montauk Chronicles, uh, I'd say if you're really into aliens or uh, I guess MK Ultra, if you like that Stranger Things show, this might be right up your alley. That's how I had heard about it actually. Cuz yeah. like I'd like seen it come up in passing like cuz it's kind of is it like found footage-ish stuff or is it no. fake is it a fake documentary? It's so it's played out like just like a documentary like the two guys right. say they work there, the guy who was this subject and then he goes to the sites and films there and then he just does reenactments. Oh. Yeah. So it's not it's not like it doesn't come off as a mockumentary. It doesn't come off as found footage at all. Oh. So it's like it's like is it It's it's a documentary. It's a documentary. Yeah. Weird. Huh. That yeah. is not at all what I thought it was. Well, yeah, so it's kind of, See, it's like I said, like I I don't know how to describe this movie. Like I can't tell if it was like a pretty well done well, thing on like pretty like I said, ridiculous shit, or if it was just well, like, like well, back in the summer, there was like, uh, when you had your week off, uh, I was like coming over and we were watching all those like 70s, like paranormal investigation, like documentaries right. I was, um, just mm-hmm. finding online. Mm-hmm. So it was like, kind of like that, but just like for 2015, kind of, yeah, exactly. Okay, intro, okay, interesting. I kind of yeah. didn't think that was what it was at all. Like, because based on the still images that you were posting, I was like, mm-hmm. oh, is this like grave encounters? Because <laughs> it's like, no. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, that's what I mean. That's like the reenactments. The reenactments. Okay. So, um, like the the Nazi ghoul nurse, like, um, the guy's telling a story about like basically how the kids get tortured and then drugged, and that's during the LSD like drugging scene where um he basically like they say they basically give the kids acid, and so like that's basically what he was seeing while while he was like going through these testing things. Yeah. 
and then oh so like it's weird because like the first half hour i thought was really good and then it takes like a huge nosedive like in the middle into the end there's like a i think it was the cop friend from uh so i married an axe murderer that's who it looks like mike myers's friend um He's like in a reenactment and it's really like it's so out of place. Like, do you remember in Arrested Development when uh, Tobias gets like cast for yeah. reenacting the family scenes and it's like really bad and schlocky? <laughs> That's what it felt like. And I was like, this is so out of place with the rest of the movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know, man. It's it's a weird one. So I'd say anyone who's interested in this stuff should definitely check it out. And then maybe you can... Uh, you can tell me if this is a good movie or if it's a uh, a piece of shit because I genuinely don't know. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, that's my uh, my take on the Montauk uh, Chronicles. Yeah. And so then after that, I was uh I was feeling festy. Festy? That's not a word. Feisty? Feisty? Yeah, that's that's better. I was better. feeling I was feeling feisty. I was like, man, I'm coming off of this uh alien high like i didn't get enough out of this movie i really want to watch an alien movie yeah so i tried watching two separate alien movies right after and i only got 20 minutes into each of them and i turned them off i didn't even log them i don't even know if i should talk about them now i'm gonna finish them one day get out no let's get out the word so i first like i have (laughs) i have a, a stack of alien movies that i've i i occasionally pull from every now and then whenever I'm feeling in the mood. So there was two in there that I had heard from, I think a while ago that they were like pretty decent movies. Uh, One was called alien abduction and it was from 2014 and I popped it on and then uh, it was found footage, which I wasn't really into. And in the main title sequence, it's like the following footage was found from uh, a camera owned by a boy. The family went uh, missing and the boy was autistic and then the opening shot is like this kid in a mirror just filming himself and I was like he's not autistic I was like he's like a very normal good looking kid I don't know I thought it was weird and it's so like the family goes like uh, camping and it's this thing called like the brown mountain lights I guess there's some mountains in the states called brown mountains and mm-hmm. there's like it's a hotbed for light paranormal or like light activity in the skies and uh, it was just it was just really boring. And then it was 20 minutes in and the dad was like uh, the GPS was like telling him they were going to a different campsite and the GPS was like, turn left. And he turned right instead. And then uh, the mom's like, do you think we should be doing this? And he's like, well, it could be like deliverance. And then the mom goes, yeah, but hopefully less anal rapage. And then right then I turned it off because I was like, I'm not feeling this at all. Uh, so that movie kind of sucked, but I will finish it one day and I'll let you know if it got any better. So that one was weird. So then I popped in this other movie, uh, called Skinwalker Ranch. Uh, and that was from a couple of years ago as well. Uh, and, um, Skinwalker Ranch. Yeah. Skinwalker Ranch. And to uh, my, sounds like a salad dressing. <laughs> I think it is, but like a really ghoulish salad dressing, uh, <laughs> So I popped that in and then I was really upset uh, because as soon as I popped it in, it was like the following footage was taken from security, like a documentary team. And I was like, God damn it. Like, (laughs) I don't want to watch a fucking another found footage alien movie. And then uh, I popped up the letterbox page because I was like, let me see what I'm getting into first here. (laughs) And uh, the first like the popular review, it was like picture 
alien uh, like signs meets paranormal activity. And I was like, okay, I guess like that's my jam. That mm-hmm. kind basically. But then the opening scenes like this really cheesy thing where it's like a farmer and he's playing with the sun and then a light comes down out of the sky and it like squiggles around the sun and then he just disappears. Yeah. And it's like this. And then like the next thing comes up. It's like this is entirely true story. And I was like, oh, God, it's like you don't do that. Just just keep going with it anyway. So the family like hires like a team of like young documentary documentarians to come and they set up like security cameras throughout the house they're like we believe you man like we know it's not the or we believe you dude and then like the first night there's like a loud sound that wakes everybody up and i was like that's really boring and dumb sounds aren't scary and then like (laughs) five seconds later one of the guys is like i analyzed the sound uh and he's like talking about like sound analysis and i was like oh god like (laughs) it was really like unbelievable and there was there was like a they go to like the vet who's like the ranch vet and she's talking about like cattle mutilation and the first thing they go up to him they're like oh so you like horses and then she like says a bunch of like really weird like uh like medical terms and like animal behaviorist terms about the horses and i was like nobody talks like that like not even like people in the field or like vets or doctors nobody talks like that like normally so it felt like really like ham-fisted dialogue that was like it's like you get it she's smart you see she's Mm. like really smart and stuff and then it cut to like a truck in the field and they're like did anyone see that truck pull up and it's like no it's like i can't even the guy was like zooming in he's like there's nobody even in there what's in there and then i turned that one off too because i was like this sucks too (laughs) so skinwalker ranch and alien abduction from 2014 uh they were both I, I only got 20 minutes into each of them. Uh, so I'll finish them one day. But those are, as I said last week, those are what I call magazine movies. So I'll save them for when I have something else to do. And then I'll throw it on in the background so that I can justify actually mm-hmm. putting down like an hour and a half of my life to these bad movies. Yeah, Meanwhile, like following your taxes, doing yeah, some like, online surveys. Yeah, doing some other stuff at the same time. That's the only way I can justify it. Baking and boarding comics. Begging him, yeah, doing it yeah. like doing anything, doing anything but watching the movie but that's watching on those movies. So that was a that was a major disappointment, yeah. um, especially because the last one I watched was actually really good. It was called um, Alien Abduction Incident at like Lake County or something. Yeah, and it was, that one was from the '90s, and I think it was pre Blair Witch, and that one was a found footage one. But it was like a family is in a house, and then there's like aliens outside the house. That's pretty solid alien movie. Okay. So, uh, I didn't watch that, but I just think thinking it, about all these movies, uh, I, I'd say if anyone out there is interested, that one's not bad. That one's pretty good. Yeah, I think you made me put that on my uh, Halloween pool list. Goddamn but, right. But I don't know if it's going to make it for this year. That's fine. It's, uh, fine. it's not like great or anything. No one needs to like rush out to watch it, but yeah. it's pretty decent. Cool. Uh, and then um, really quickly, two other things. I watched The Hunt for the Wilder People yesterday. Uh-huh. Uh huh. By Taiki Tatiti. Something like name? yeah, something like that. Yeah. The guy who did uh, what we do in the shadows and uh, coming up. Uh, o- Thor o- Oliver Granger's going to just shake his head at your pronunciation. Oh oh shit yeah well <laughs> maybe he can like uh, write in and tell us how to say that. Hey, but I'm going. I don't have his name up on the screen, so I was just going off of memory. Yeah. So um, I thought that was really good. I liked it a lot. I found it very charming. Mm fun you're the the word you hate the most 
in the world? Uh, it's a. I find that the yeah the expression fun for people uh, that don't. Uh, aren't part of uh, RJ and I's regular conversations. Um, I find it's overly abused on podcasts. It seems yeah. like you, you can call anything being fun and be like, oh, it's actually not that good, but it's a lot of fun. Mm. But we don't want to be rude to people that we might be working with someday in the future. Right. Um, since RJ and I have no aspirations to work with anyone in the film industry, we can say your movie's a piece of shit and be honest about that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, but for in this case, I, I actually did really like this movie. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I thought it was, like I said, I thought it was charming. It had a really genuine, like, feel to the character, like the little kid. I thought he was great. So I don't really have anything much to say about it. It's a new movie. People, yeah. people watch it for themselves, well, but I liked it. Yeah, I went to that movie on my own uh, about a month ago. I didn't actually bring it up on the show, I don't think. Um, I think we got b- busy talking about other stuff. But, uh, yeah, I thought it was all right. It was good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah. There's, I don't, I, it was probably nothing I'd ever watch again. Uh, right. To be honest, but uh, I am uh, excited. Well, I'm not excited. I'm interested to see what uh, Ola Waititi uh, does with that Thor three movie. I guess. Did you watch that little short that he put out? The I have five not. Minute one? I have not watched that thing yet. But I assume it was it's, good. Yeah, it was funny. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Um, yeah. No, it was. Uh, I mean, Sam Neill is always uh, magnificent, and uh, you. Kn- you know what I heard today? What? Sam Neill just got cast for Thor Ragnarok. Ah, uh, yes. I Okay, I did see so, that. So him and Jeff Goldblum and stuff. I don't know. It seems like it's going to be all right. Shaping up. It seems like, Shaping yeah, well, up. I guess like they kind of went into a wall with the that last Thor movie, the Dark yeah. World one. And mm-hmm. it's because like, I don't know if very many people saw that one compared to like all the other Marvel stuff. So right. they said, ah, whatever. No one gives a shit about Thor. Let's just make a comedy, which is actually sounds way more interesting that they mm-hmm. maybe let people just do what they want to do. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I don't have much to say about that. Um, but I watched one last movie that I think you also watched, but we might save that for the review because it is directly related to the content. Yeah, well, I know what you're going to say. Uh, yep. We'll maybe we'll, we'll talk. We'll t- just tie that all into the Thomas Harris uh, novel adaptations that we're going to be all discussing right. later. Yeah. So uh, that's it. Cool. Well, yeah, I uh, I watched a few things that don't relate to Thomas Harris novel adaptations. Mm-hmm. Um, the first up was uh, a little black exploitation film called Dolomite from 1975. Um, starring one Rudy Ray Moore. He is a guy that I don't really know too much about um, going into this. Like, I'd always heard about kind of Dolomite. Like, I know the title. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's got a pretty cool, iconic uh, cover of him just like punching out and stuff like that. And, oh, yeah. but I had no idea what it was. Like there's like sort of like a blurriness to like kind of like the black exploitation films. I've watched quite a few, but there's so many that I've never seen. Cause a lot of them just like haven't really come out in like better copies. Like mm-hmm. outside of like when MGM was putting out their like soul cinema stuff. I went through all that way back when. Um, but yeah, like the Dolomite stuff, I think like one company called like Zenion or something like that put them out. Um, but I, and I, you never would have seen those in stores around here, right? So, but Vinegar Syndrome uh, has just been putting out like four of his movies, five of his movies now, like where he's starring in them. They have different directors, but uh, so Dolomite is kind of based on Rudy Rimor, who is like a stand-up comedian uh, actor, just kind of this like I don't know, kind of your alternative 
Richard Pryor, but like far less known. Um, and he just like decided I'm going to make a fucking movie (laughs) and he like got his own money together. Like, and it wasn't a lot of money. Like, I think I saw at one point, uh, like $75,000 to like, just do this like movie based on this character Dolomite that he kind of had in one of his like standup acts and just kind of do this idea of this sort of like pimp character and just like make a story about him just like fucking people up saying motherfucker a lot and Mm -hmm. kicking people's ass with his like not so great kung fu skills um but yeah no like oh man this movie i it's it's like really shittily made but Mm -hmm. none of that gets in the way of just like the fact that like i was just smiling throughout it and uh just enjoying uh kind of the ideas that he's trying to get across just like i mean i assume it like probably draws a lot upon like your um like cotton comes to harlem sort of novels coming out um Mm -hmm. and that period of time and being inspired by that and like i'm just going to do that on my own and just make up stories about pimps and like the Mm. problems that pimps have and how women all love them and he just does it unapologetically right there's like no pretense whatsoever um there's like bits where you can clearly see that like the camera crew is filming a scene like you see their shadows being uh harshly backlit and across the road and it doesn't matter it's kind of like i like that i appreciate that and i kind of hope i see more of that Mm -hmm. um yeah just (laughs) i don't know it's a it's a fun movie rj (laughs) oh no no. but yeah if you like black exploitation movies and yeah, Dolomite's de- de- yeah, it's a good example of it. Kind of like it's definitely on the rough, rougher side of uh production. Um, right. but it's like I don't know, there's like the stuff I don't like about it where it's like Rudy Remore doing his like stand up act, which I really don't get. I don't think it's funny, <laughs> yeah. like the actual like kind of bits where he's just riffing. Um, I, I just don't have the like maybe the cultural background to relate to what he's saying. But yeah. I mean, I, I find stand up like really tough to like connect to in general, regardless of like what era I'm watching it in. Right. Um, but yeah, so his next movie that I would be watching would be Human Tornado, which I think is like not as good as Dolomite. But mm-hmm. the one after that is Petey Wheatstraw, which I guess is like uh, more like in the horror black exploitation realm, which sounds Ooh. really great. And yeah. with October right around the corner, I am definitely going to be slamming that along with Ew. stuff like uh, Sugar Hill. And uh, I got some Blackula. Some Scream, Blackula Scream. I have that um, in my list too. Yeah. And uh, then there's like this one, 90s one uh, called Death by Temptation, which uh, I, I, I don't know. I'm pretty, I'm pretty stoked. It's going to be a good, right. it's going to be a good month, RJ. Yeah. I'm um, excited. And then on the flip side of enjoyment comes the film Paint Your Wagon from 1969. Oh no. Starring Lee Marvin and Clint Eastwood in, I guess, a Western musical. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, first you go oh that doesn't sound like it could be fun that could be fun um that this could be great or it could be charming has good songs or whatever and then Mm -hmm. so rj how long do you think paint your wagon is uh i would if i was a god faring man i would hope for like a nice 75 minutes well this movie is 164 minutes long which translates that's like yeah two hours and 45 minutes um, Holy yeah, <laughs> yeah. This like uh, my friend Corey had bought it on uh, like ch- like used on DVD, and because like it's one of those movies that like ah, we all know the reference to like in The Simpsons, when mm-hmm. the, and like you think oh like I don't know if anyone had really seen this movie before. Like people don't really talk about it. Like right. I was trying to find a um, 
just like a screen grab of the title credits and I was going to post it on Instagram while we were watching it and I couldn't find it. And then I kept looking for like, more, like other like screen grabs for paint your wagon and I couldn't find much of anything. So like mm-hmm. this movie, I don't think people really watch and there's a really good reason for that. Um, it's really like, it fails at being a musical. Um, it's got some really bad sound design going on where like, everything was like shot on location in like Oregon. Yeah. And like, so like, they built sets. Like the movie had like a big budget. It was like $20 million in 1969. Um, so they built like their, these sets on location and like they're doing a musical, which means like, oh, we're going to have to put all the sound in and music in after the fact. So you have scenes where like, characters are singing, but then like all the other audio in the surrounding area completely drops out. And maybe I've just grown accustomed to like, like kind of a Robert Altman style, like audio or like Walter Murch style, like sound editing. And like, just like the idea that like audio just completely vanishes and a character just sings and in a completely mm-hmm. static space, it just like kills it dead. Like there's, so there's no like real like movement. Um, right. And like, maybe I haven't watched enough sixties musicals to really realize that that was a common thing. But I think even like from a sound design aspect, this movie is like pretty bad. Um, and then it's also supposed to be a comedy and it's not very funny. Um, yeah, it seems like really like, I mean, I love Lee Marvin and I love Clint Eastwood, but neither of them really get to like be themselves in this because they're mm-hmm. playing like just characters. Like they could have been anybody. Um, but it mm-hmm. seems like their star power was enough to like get this thing made. Um, right. What else can I say about this? There's a scene with a, there, there's going to be a proposed bear versus bull fight that doesn't Ooh. actually happen, but actually winds up leading to the demise of the town at the end of the movie. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't know. There's absolutely nothing to recommend in this thing. Um, it's like pretty, I don't know. There's really not much I can recommend about it. It sucks as a Western. It sucks as a musical and it sucks as a comedy. Um, Mm, that's too bad. Yeah. I guess the Simpsons was right. Hey, well, you know what? No, what? Not once is a wagon painted in this movie. (laughs) Oh, fucking liars. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you don't even get, like, because I think in the Simpsons clip, there's, like, Lee Van Cleef is in there, and it's like, well, he's not in this movie either. And there's, like, a song about painting. We're going to paint this wagon. No, mm-hmm. no, there's no song about that. Oh, man. Well, but that's super I, I get, like, the one, like I guess, like, the one thing that's interesting is, like, there is sort of, like, this, like, homoerotic charge, like, that goes Ooh. on between uh, Clint and Lee earlier on. And then, because what, what it is, it's a town where it's, like, the entire population, it's a mining town, so it's all men and there's no women. And then, mm-hmm. like, a Mormon guy comes to town with his two wives. And uh, I guess, like, the one wife, um, she's a pain in the ass. And so Mormon guy sells his wife off like a slave to this yep. town, and the highest bidder gets her, which turns out to be Lee Marvin. Um, and so they get hooked up, but then I guess she starts like, also like she's in love with Lee Marvin, but she's also in love with Clint Eastwood, which then opens up the pot, her, her basically being married to both of them. Uh, Cause they're living in a place where there's no rules. It's the frontier. Um, like it should be like, it should be. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, that sounds bad. I'm never going to watch that. No, don't. Yeah. No one should ever watch that movie. So I always thought that was a, a joke, like, because I know that Simpsons that you're talking about, too. Yeah. I always thought they were just making fun of, like, Clint Eastwood, but I never actually realized it was a real movie and that it actually sucked. So, well, yeah, I, I, I guess the, the Simpsons podcast uh, continues where we everything we talk about can get related back to the Simpsons somehow. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. And it just goes to show they knew what they were doing. They were plugged in at one point. Yeah, timeless. And now it just exists. Yeah. It's just, it just, it just matter. Um, yeah. My last little creep I'll throw out there uh, was the film uh, Sunday in the Country from 1974. Uh, mm. And it stars Ernest Borgnine 
as a uh, as a grandpa who uh, he finds himself caught up in a last house in the left type deal. Uh-oh. Where, uh, well, it's three, like, big city bank robbers wind up in the country, and mm-hmm. they're on the run, and they they think they're going to get, like, the drop on this old rube and, like, be able to take his car and stuff. But he he hears about them. He kind of, like, he has, you know, rifles and stuff laying around. He gets to jump right. on them. Uh, he gets to mow them, mow one of them down, like, with Ooh. big, big squib explosion. Like, this guy just gets downed mm-hmm. um and then with the other two he winds up uh tying them up and basically torturing them for a little bit um sounds awesome it's a strange little film it's it's a canadian production from like the 70s kind of during the tax shelter days it was like filmed i think you know, it's probably in ontario mm-hmm. um but like it's kind of, kind of like kind of disjointed pacing because the whole thing is like his like uh daughter or his granddaughter who's like kind of like staying with him while she's like uh, summering away from college. Uh, <laughs> she's just hanging out and like, her, it's the whole thing of like him going too far. And like, she doesn't understand why he's doing this. And like, cause obviously he's like, he, you don't really get the sense that he's going to hand them over alive to the police. And mm-hmm. cause what happens is the, the bad guys, they cut the police um, or cut the phone cord. And so they, she can't even call the police to like come save them from her grandfather. But yeah, no. Oh yeah, there's a uh, giant uh, Czechoslovakian man uh, who works on the farm called Luke, and he's sort of just like the gentle giant who kind of like, well, I have to do what the boss says, and so. But he and he's incredibly strong and just like knocks guns out of like these little bank robbers' hands. Uh, one of the bank robbers is played by um, Michael J. Pollard, mm-hmm. who uh, he's like in movies like. Um, uh, Bonnie and Clyde, and uh, he's in an episode of uh, Star Trek, I think episode Miri, and he's a peculiar looking dude. Like, you would know him once you see him. Um, <coughs> excuse me. But anyway, yeah, it's okay. Like, I've seen some people, like, really think this highly of this film, but, I mean, I was watching, like, a second generation, like, rip I found online, and because it's, like, not available at all legitimately. Right. But, yeah, it's... <coughs> It's okay. Other than that, that's it for my creeping. Um, do you have any news items you'd like to share? I do actually, but I just remembered something, something about Skinwalker Ranch. Okay. Uh, I just want to bring up quickly. One of the other reasons I got really pulled out of it was because uh, the rancher, like it was a rancher and his wife and their son disappeared at the start. And the rancher has like this big monologue. He's like, I built this ranch for my family, for my son. So he could ranch with me. And it's like supposed to be this really like, it's like, but they out there, the aliens. It's supposed to be like really like dramatic. But the rancher is uh, Uncle Rico from, or not Uncle Rico uh, from Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah, Uncle Rico. It's it's Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite. So like I can't take him seriously because he's like, because the whole time it's like this movie is real. And then it's like him talking about ranching. It's like, no. It's like I remember him from Napoleon Dynamite. Um, that's all I got to talk about. I just wanted to bring that up. I thought it was funny that Uncle Rico was in Skinwalker Ranch. Just want to talk about John Grease. Just yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, anyways, yeah, I do have some news for you. I got two little tidbits here. Okay. Um, Give me one those thing bits. Bits I thought was kind of funny was uh, did you hear that the new Transformers movie got into a little trouble this week? Nope. Uh, so I don't really care about these movies. I haven't seen any of them since maybe the second one. Uh, it doesn't matter. 
Uh, apparently, they were filming in Winston Churchill's house. Yeah. And they used it as like a Nazi headquarter or like Hitler's house or Hitler's headquarters in the movie. Really? And uh, <laughs> people got really mad at them because they're like, you could have done that anywhere. Why did you go to like Churchill's house and dress it up like a Nazi headquarters? That is, su- that is super weird. Why would it's, they do that? I don't know. Like... It, it doesn't make any sense to me. And be, other than that, like this movie sounds fucking ridiculous. Like apparently uh, they cast someone to play King Arthur and now there's like Nazi headquarters. So I guess it's like, I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe this is all public knowledge and I'm going to sound really stupid, but I guess it's time travel this one. Hmm. Um, but I don't know. I thought it was really funny that they got in trouble because they were filming there and then uh, they turned Churchill's house into Hitler's house. <laughs> Well, for for some reason, I think they deserve to get into trouble. That's just like yeah. stupid. But like fuck, it's they, just... they do. But then they also did something. I guess there was a dog at like an animal shelter who had been there like ten years, and Michael Bay like adopted it and put it into the movie. And he has a scene with Anthony Hopkins, I guess, in this movie. Oh. And that that was going around the internet this week too because everybody was like. Everyone was like, this will, it's like this little interaction will make you cry. It's like the loneliest dog in the world is now like with Anthony Hopkins in Transformers 5. So. Yeah. While they're calling uh, Winston Churchill a Nazi. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was kind of funny. And then uh, I heard something just now that like, it's not really news, but I thought it was kind of weird. And uh, since we double as um the Stephen King podcast, I yep. thought I'd bring it up. So have you ever heard of like, the weird rivalry he has with James Patterson. No. So if people aren't familiar, James Patterson's like a, a pulp writer. Also, um, he he's one of those rare writers at bookstores who has like an entire shelf. Just like there's like fiction and then there's like James Patterson. It's like a whole shelf of his. I guess like 10 years ago, Stephen King said that he was a really bad writer. And so like James Patterson got mad at this. And I guess he wrote a book called Killing Stephen King. And like, I, so like, cause like, uh, cause like James Patterson was like, well, fuck you, Stephen King. So he wrote a book about like an avid fan, like basically misery that like goes to Stephen King's house and kills him. And I guess he, he's been talking about it for like five years and it was supposed to come out in like two or three weeks. But today he was like, no, I'm not going to release it anymore. He's like, I, I get, I think it's in bad taste. And it's like, huh, it's kind of weird. Like it seems weird not to release a book that like you built up and is already written, but I guess this guy's got like so many ghostwriters and like hundreds of books that yeah. are published. So he doesn't really give a shit if one of them doesn't get published. So I just thought that was really weird huh. that uh, Stephen King was like, you suck. And then James Patterson was like, well, I'm going to write a book about killing you, I guess. <laughs> That's so. That seems like, uh, the mature thing to do. Honestly, <laughs> at this point, this is like it's something I would do. Yeah. I mean, Jesus. Yeah, so I thought that was kind of funny, but hmm. uh, that's it. That's all I got. Oh, well, I've only got one thing, and um, it's more like just because like, I had no idea this was happening, but this was like a news story about how like some actor named Ed Skrine. I I know Ed Skrine. Yeah. He was in uh, that hit movie Deadpool. Yeah, that's, that's what this article tells me. But apparently yeah. he's going to be playing uh, a role in a – uh, Battle Angel Alita movie uh, adaptation, which I was like, wait, Battle Angel Alita? Like, I don't know if you know that know the story about this at all. Okay, so yep. Battle Angel Alita, it's a uh, Japanese uh, comic that mm-hmm. like came out in the 80s, 90s. 
Mm-hmm. But it's like kind of like legendary in North America because James Cameron has been threatening to make this adaptation for like 25 years. Okay. Um, like this has been on his radar. Um, he's been making the excuses about like how that he's been waiting, you know, the technology isn't there yet, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then like, I don't know what the holdup's always been, but then he started making Avatar and then now he's, and now he just makes Avatar sequels. Mm -hmm. So apparently though, um, he's now the producer on this, uh, Alita battle angel movie, which Robert Rodriguez is doing now. And it's like, Oh, um, no, thanks. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I kind of don't like Robert Rodriguez movies. <laughs> um, I find that like his, uh, his good, like the good movies he has, I think are really good, but it's far out are those? by the bad movies. What, what are the In, good Robert Rodriguez? <laughs> from Dusk Till Dawn. <laughs> eh. You don't like From Dusk Till Dawn? <laughs> it's like. I don't know. It's been a while since I watched it, but I think of like I've never finished. I've never been able to finish Desperado. Yeah. Um. Once upon a time in the West or mm-hmm. or, or Mexico. Mexico. Once upon a time in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't know. But Antonio Banderas <laughs> has a uh, guitar gun in that movie. <laughs> guitar case gun. I watched Planet Terror uh, recently. Yeah. Um. And man, that movie's so not so good at all. I remember it does, I like, it, does, it was it, fine it, when it, I watched it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. It's got, like, all these, like, bad, like, digital filters on top of it to make it look like it's old. And it, it just mm-hmm. hasn't aged well at all because he kicked off everybody doing that. Mm-hmm. So it's not, like, doubly poorly aged. The Machete movie, I think the first time I, I saw that in theater and it was, like, okay. But it's, like, he doesn't make anything that, like, you'd want to rewatch. I, uh, so, like, everything that gets announced with him... <laughs> Uh, I, I just like yeah, it's exactly what you said. It's like oh, I don't want to watch that. They're like uh, Robert Rodriguez to make a Johnny Quest movie, and it's like oh okay. But then he was like, yeah, this movie's really about like I can't remember what he said, but it was like the way he described the series was like completely different from what it's actually supposed to be. And it's like oh, it's like you don't get it, eh? So so I don't know. And then it's just basically like all he's gonna do is make uh, Machete movies and like Spy Kids movies. Yeah. So. <coughs> Excuse me, but no, but like I like From Dusk Till Dawn, but it's like I think his bad movies outnumber his good movies by a lot. Yeah, I mean, I, I read his book like uh, Rebel Without a Crew, and like when I read that back in like whatever it was two thousand four, I thought it was like really interesting, really kind of cool. That's like yeah, like inspired me to like try making short films mm-hmm. and like movies and stuff like that. Nerd. But like. Uh, I don't know. Like those lessons, when I go back and think about these things, it's like, yeah, like he prides himself on like, oh, I can do all this stuff for real cheap and I'll just do it mm-hmm. myself and make it look like that. But it's like, yeah, but then it looks like it. Like it looks, it doesn't look like professional. It looks like cheap. Um, like yeah. I can tell the difference. And I mean, like, well, that's why you have like professional, like, uh, technical professionals that exist in the world to like draw on their resources. And as a director, your job is to like draw on the best people available to you and try to make the best thing you make. And it seems right. like you prize himself on like cutting corners and like pocketing the money or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And it's like, uh, yeah, I mean, you can tell like it's just like yeah. disposable stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I don't know. I think film is like one of the toughest things you can do. And you should be mm. shooting higher. And he's kind of like, he prides himself on not doing that, I guess. That's what comes off to me. 
So yeah. I don't know. Him working on this, it's like, man, it's like, James, like I couldn't imagine like two guys further apart than like James Cameron and Robert Rodriguez, like from like a mm-hmm. filmmaking like standpoint philosophically. Because like James Cameron's this guy who like, prides himself on like the technical aspects on right. um, like making, doing things like that look exactly right to like the best that he could do at that time. Like that's mm-hmm. his whole thing. And I mean, it stands to the reason like all his movies have been successful. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then like Robert Rodriguez, it's like, I cut corners <laughs> and it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's like sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. Cause I don't know, outside of like a handful of his, like, I guess like movies you could consider good. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. It doesn't work out so great. And I don't think he's got the best rep other than him and Tarantino really get along well. And he's got that El Rey network that puts you at Lucha Underground. Okay. So there's one I thing, guess. there's one thing that Robert Rodriguez does. He has the El Rey network, which shows like uh unedited, like, genre exploitation stuff from the 70s that he loves which is cool mm-hmm. and he I guess would have a hand in putting out the Lucha Underground uh, wrestling show that at least up until like at least through season one and through some of season two was really really good right. I'm not so sure about the season three stuff but so he's been good for that so I don't know okay. uh, Battle Angelita it's not like it's like I read the manga and it wasn't like that great like it, it was fine but it's it wasn't memorable at all so i'm not sure why uh, james cameron was obsessed with it for so mm-hmm. long but we'll see maybe he gets, it's well he gets obsessed with stuff right that yes this is true um but apparently also in this is going to have it's going to have old jackie earl haley christoph Ooh. waltz uh Ooh. and uh rose salazar who i guess is i don't like, know that one she's from like maze runner that's what the yeah. this news article tells me Oh okay, I like Jack Earl Haley. <clears throat> oh, and in case he's people, awesome. and in case people don't know what uh, this Alita thing is, uh, she's a female cyborg with no memory of her past who becomes a bounty hunter. Ghost in the Shell? Nope, that's a different movie. RJ, what are oh. you talking about? They're completely different concepts. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Um, well, it's a good thing they got authentic Japanese people for this movie. Absolutely. When I think Japan, I think Jack Earl Haley. <laughs> <laughs> But yep. I do like him. I think he's wicked. He's going to be in that Dark Tower movie. Is I think isn't I imagine everyone's going to wind up being in that Dark Tower movie or TV Eventually. show. Eventually, yeah. yeah. But uh, he's like the main antagonist for this first one. <clears throat> do you think like when they get to the point where they're going to have like nineteen characters, <laughs> like all on these for tasks? Dark yeah. Um. Well, I was just thinking about that when you were talking about your Dark Tower trek. It it actually like so the main story only really has like four main characters like Roland, Jake, and then uh, Eddie Dean and Susanna. Like that's it. Okay. And then like other stories within it have characters like the TV show that's going to be the prequel. That's like Roland and then his two friends. But like they're not in any of the other stories. So it could be isolated enough. But yeah, it'll get a little thick. That's the way we like it though here on the Criterion Creeps podcast. Thick. Creamy. (laughs) Um, it, right. actually, I should ask you, uh, how's the it reading doing? Oh, it's, it's coming along, man. Um, I think I'm about 150 pages in of the like 1400 page book. The, the one tenth, then. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I'm still, uh, in where all the adult versions are getting called to come back to dairy. Yep. So I haven't even got to the fifties yet where the actual story takes place or like part one of the story takes place. Um, and that's 150 pages in, but I really like it, man. Like it seems like, so I've read, all, I think as people can tell, I've, I read a lot of Stephen King. I think I've read uh, just over half of his stuff, which is like no small effort because he's got like a hundred goddamn books, but uh, I've never read it and it definitely seems like, uh, 
it's one of the better written things that he's done, which I guess is what people say sometimes. That's like when people say Stephen King, it's like it, Carrie, Stand, The Stand, yeah, Sam's yeah. Lot, stuff like that. But uh, no, I really like it. I'm I'm slowing right now because uh, with my creeping, which next week will be zero because I'm uh, I'm trying to write a thesis right now, but uh, so I don't get a lot of reading in or movies. But uh, I'm trying to get it done for October so I can prioritize and get those creep movies in. Yeah, between that thesis and some samurai movies you're going to be watching, um, yeah, your time's going to be pretty taken up. So pretty much I'm I'm living in hell and shit is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Hooray. Woohoo. Well, that being said, I think it's time we jump into that review, RJ. Sure. And maybe I won't start coughing like a fiend again. You goddamn better not. I know. Cold suck. Don't get them, people. Anyways, after the break, we're going to be talking about Lambs That Are Silent. Huh? From 1991. Directed by Jonathan Demay. Huh? See you in a bit. It rubs the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose. And when it's done, there's one more thing. A simple little task. It's put the fucking lotion in the basket. Put the fucking lotion in the basket All these stupid women are the same Helps me not to think of them as human So I call them it instead of by their names Mister, please no more abuse Can't you see there's no excuse My family's probably wondering where I've been I'll starve you so your skin gets loose Stop crying now you big fat moose Just put the fucking lotion on your skin And then put the fucking lotion in the basket Your chances for survival are remote I'm impervious to all your silly whining So wipe down before I jam a moth right down your fucking throat Mr. Please, my mom's got money Let me go, this isn't funny Cops are sure to send somebody Turn me loose, don't be a dummy Listen to you scream and wail Keep it down, you fucking wail Mind the broken fingernail The last girl climbed halfway but failed Someone at the door Don't make me go and get my gun and shoot you It's a waste of skin They don't sell fat girls in a fucking store Put my fucking precious in the basket Don't you hurt my one and only friend You don't know what pain is but I'll teach you If you lay a fucking finger on my poodle's pretty head Put the fucking poodle in the basket Easily, Starling? Not yet, sir. He's past the others. The last cell. I'll be watching. You'll do fine. A killer is on the loose. Keeps them alive for three days. Then he shoots them, skins them, and dumps them. 
A rookie FBI agent is on his trail. He's got real physical strength, cautious, precise, and he's never impulsive. He'll never stop. But in order to track him down, she'll have to match wits. I'll help you catch him, Clary. Believe me, you don't want Hannibal Lecter inside your head. With the darkest of all minds. Just do your job, but never forget what he is. Oh, he's a monster. Pure psychopath. So rare to capture one alive. So close to the way you're gonna catch him, do you realize that? Oh, Clarice, your problem is you need to get more fun out of life. You told me you don't spook easily. You call this easy, sir? Lecter's missing hand arm. Man's a raving maniac. Who knows what he'll do? And we're back. And we're talking Silence of the Lambs, directed by Jonathan Demme from 1991, our number 13 spine in the Criterion Creep. Mm-hmm. Clarice Starling, played by Jodie Foster, is pulled from FBI training by the head of the Bureau's Behavioral Science Unit, Jack Crawford, played by Scott Glenn. He assigns her to interview the infamous cannibal doctor, Hannibal Lecter. Basically, it's all a ruse just to get Lecter's assistance in gaining insight into the recent killings of one Buffalo Bill, a serial killer kidnapping and dumping women in rivers. Um, Mind games ensue between uh, the young Starling and uh, Lecter, who's played by Anthony Hopkins, as you might have heard. Um as Lecter becomes interested in Starling and begins to help her in a way movie maniacs do by sending her on wild goose chases that aren't exactly that while being frustratingly coy and pumping her for information about her own uh, life and for his own enjoyment, leading to that whole business of silence of lambs. We then get introduced Mm -hmm. to the inimitable Buffalo Bill, the yet to be identified James Gum played by Ted Levine, whose latest victim is the daughter of a U.S. Senator. And we get to enjoy his modus operandi and his day-to-day life involving a poodle, lotion, a bucket, a well, moths, and his love for great big fat persons. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not going to go too, too much into this movie. Um, I think everyone has seen it. Uh, deals are made, deals are broken. Lecter is smarter than everyone else. He escapes. Mm-hmm. Starling gets to prove her worth. There's nipple piercings, some sweet, Ooh. sweet music, a sweet score, night vision goggles, um, vans. Um, there's red herrings. Uh, mm-hmm. Guys' faces getting ripped off. Um, ambulance rides. And threats of future cannibalism bring this bad boy home. Um, So the movie is based on the Thomas uh, Harris novel of the same name that was published in 1988. Uh, The novel was a sequel to Thomas Harris's 1981 novel, Red Dragon, which was adapted uh, into Michael Mann's Manhunter. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you know why they renamed the movie uh, to Manhunter? Um, Probably because of the Red Dragon triad. Uh, Because... Uh, I guess like Dino De Laurentiis thought Red Dragon made it sound like a kung fu movie. <laughs> oh, um, okay. 
maybe had a point, but I guess his instincts were shit in any case because Manhunter was a bomb. Like it, it, it did really bad. But I mean, that's like kind of been the story of Michael Mann's life. It seems like mm-hmm. he is like either super hits, mild hits, or like his movies just don't do well at all. Like Black Hat, which is actually pretty good, people. Mm-hmm. Um, so Sons of the Lambs uh, was directed by a Roger Corman underling. Jonathan Demi, who mm-hmm. cut his teeth with uh, Corman movies like Caged Heat and something called Crazy Mama. Um, he he made uh, the movie, which is a future uh, criterion creep called Something Wild in 1986. Ooh. Um, uh-huh. He directed a Spalding Gray monologue film, Swimming to Cambodia, uh, and a lot of uh, music video work, as well as uh, the movie Married to the Mob. Uh, it was written by a fairly unestablished screenwriter at the time, Ted Talley, who sounded like he just kind of looked into the situation. Um, Gene Hackman was originally part of the acquisition of the book, uh, Silence of the Lambs. Um, and so he like put it up like half the money to buy the rights for it with Orion. And like, he wanted to direct it and star in it, <laughs> which mm-hmm. I don't know if that means he was actually going to play Hannibal Lecter. But I guess he like lost interest in it because he kind of like thought the movie was just going to be like too grotesque. And I guess he had just like played like an unlikable character in like the movie Mississippi Burning the previous year. And he thought yeah. he might like hurt his brand. So he was like, nah. So he just like kind of dropped out of this. So I'm not sure if he oh, got his weird. money back or not. Um, but yeah, I, I just like imagining, I, I don't know if Gene Hackman's directed like much like nothing comes to mind off the top of my head but yeah that would have been a very different movie um, right. first choice for uh, Jonathan Demme's first choice for Cleary Starling was Michelle Pfeiffer yeah. um, because I guess like they'd worked together on Married to the Mob but I guess mm-hmm. she backed out of it because she thought it was like uh, gross. A, a gross risky movie um, yeah. but my my favorite little bit of trivia RJ was that Ooh. the first actor offered the role of Hannibal Lecter Sean yeah. Connery Oh my god! Um, and I didn't know. That. Uh, yeah, so just to uh, reiterate to people out there, uh, I I think Sean Connery is a fucking horrible actor. Uh, he sucks, yeah. and it's like, oh man, we wouldn't be talking about this movie. I don't think if Sean Connery had uh, decided this movie wasn't grotesque, um, I think it would have went the way of Manhunter and just failed. Hey. Well, hey, well, we'll we'll talk about Manhunter, and I I do like Sean Connery though. I don't. I'm not in this same camp as you. No, that he sucks, I, so. I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not sure my Sean Connery hate camp's very big, but I, mm-hmm. I don't know. He's got a bad streak for me. Um, so Silence of the Lambs, it came out kind of like during the prime serial killer era, like early nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, it's kind of like, if you think about like the serial killer movies, it's like Silence of the Lambs and seven basically went on to like inspire everything mm-hmm. and like kind of why people kind of like roll their eyes about this stuff. Um, so, because like, I mean, so in the '80s, you had sort of your um, like your merging of like kind of like the slasher with, I guess, um, these like 1980s directors who kind of like grew up loving film noir, and they sort of like like a Brian De Palma kind of started merging these interests into like the something called like the erotic noir movies and like er- erotic thrillers, like yeah. kind of like your uh, body heats, your body doubles, um, dressed to kill, and stuff like that. Sister Act 2. Yeah, Sister Act 2. Um, and, like, so, you, like, you had Joe Esterhaus, who made, like, Jagged Edge in, like, the 80s. And then he'd go on to uh, also write uh, Basic Instinct, which was, like, your other mm-hmm. big 90s thriller movie, uh, mm-hmm. just, like, right after this. Um, your silent, your uh, Single White Females, which aren't, like, serial killer movies, but they're, like, these, like, the adult thrillers that, like, mm-hmm. started, like, just coming out nonstop. Because movies like this were just making so much money. 
Um, and just like to go along with that, like serial killer thing. I mean, you had people kind of primed to know what serial killers were now because like throughout the eighties, like you had like your Jeffrey Dahmer's, your Richard Ramirez's, your Ted Bundy's, your Gacy's, your, like you had all these like figures that were like in the news constantly. And right. I mean, uh, like Hannibal Lecter is sort of like a composite of like a few of those. There's like the, mm-hmm. so people like hit on these things and, um, yeah. And then it's like on top of that, it's like a technically really well-made movie. Um, so like this movie became like a super phenomenon. Um, it's like, so what, it won the big five Oscar awards, which are best director, best actor, best actress, best screenplay and best picture. Um, mm. only two other movies in history so far have done that. And that's in happened. It happened one night, uh, which is a future creep and mm. one flew of the cuckoo's nest. So it's like really wow. unusual. Clark Clark Gable, Jack Nicholson. Uh, it's a weird company with old Anthony Hopkins playing Hannibal Lecter. Because mm-hmm. um, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, if you think about like all those, these movies that have won Oscars up to that point, Silence of the Lambs is essentially like a B horror movie. Like if mm-hmm. you look at what its story is, and for it to like win Best Picture, really speaks to like how much like power it had like in people's minds like even in like academy award voters who like would never even probably bother going to see something like this but this movie just like became so much bigger than what anyone could have thought it was going to be mm-hmm. um so i'll just say uh up to this point that i fucking love this movie a lot mm-hmm. um the first time i ever watched this movie was actually on uh the local two and seven channel here which so that was like just like the local channel and it for somehow they had acquired the rights to play it like at 11 o'clock at night mm-hmm. and I just like it was like uh, a summer night uh probably in like 96 or something like that 97 and I stayed up and I watched this movie for the first time in my parents basement and this movie was just utterly terrifying and like it seemed like this like unending ordeal of just like mm-hmm. dankness and like it had such a mastery of tone that like I'd never seen anything quite like it at that point right. um and yeah this movie scared the shit out of me and I've loved it ever since but my interpretation and feelings about this movie have changed uh from being thinking it's like this really frightening scary movie to being like really like funny <laughs> mm-hmm. which I kind of mentioned last week um but I guess we'll talk about that more as we get into it but RJ uh do you have any thoughts or feelings about this movie we're talking about today uh i mean not not anything revolutionary like this movie's awesome i love it too uh i also saw it as a little kid uh i also had a skin suit when i was a little kid um it's all good things like i don't know man uh there's a lot of individual elements i really like but it's like you said um i think I think people know this movie's fucking great like there's some like technical stuff that i really like about this movie is uh, it's really like intimate. Like there's so many close-ups. Oh, there's yeah. so many goddamn close-ups that's, in this movie. Yeah, that's like one of my first notes when I started watching this again. Yeah, yeah. There's like just like that. Yeah. Um, I don't know if like I had never picked up on it. Like obviously the first time I watched it, and it wasn't until I actually rewatched this movie the first time uh, in a long time earlier this year, mm-hmm. um, back in March. Because I hadn't seen it for years, and like I was really struck by like the whole use of like the I guess the the term for is the gaze in this because like I didn't realize how often like characters are just staring directly into the camera pretty much and like 
um, everyone's just looking directly at one another. Like it's shot directly across from one. Like everyone's just like, it's constantly being shot when they're back and forth conversations. Mm-hmm. Like obviously it breaks away from that at times, but there, it happens constantly. And like in those opening shots of the movie, like these like close-ups on like uh, Dr. Chilton, when mm-hmm. he's just like really relishing and telling uh, Starling about uh, the nurse uh, being mm-hmm. just like, just disfigured by the um, lecture attack. Yeah. And it's just like, good God, like, it's like so many close-ups and it's like, it's just like Mm -hmm. so close. And it's like, um, really well done in like, not, but it's like, uh, it adds to that, um, discomfort, the intensity that you're supposed to be feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, and you're not just kind of like chuckling at the fact that like, Oh, Dr. Chilton just happens to have this photo of this nurse's face in his pocket. (laughs) He's just like, he just shows up to people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's fucking great. Like stuff like that, I think is really, really good. And I don't know. It, it just highlights a lot of like the, the good parts of this movie. Like, cause you'll go from like close-ups with like everybody's faces. Like when Clarice and Hannibal are talking, it's like close up back and forth, back and forth. And then you'll go to like the wide shot of Clarice. Like that's another thing that's really good in this movie is showing like, like a woman in a man's world kind of thing. Oh, like, yeah. I guess like is a big, a big theme in this movie where it's like everything she, like wherever she goes, there's like people hitting on her or like, uh, undermining like women. They're like, let's go talk about this somewhere else. So like you'll go from like the close ups where it's like her and like Hannibal. And then you'll go to the, like the wide shot of her, like in the elevator with like a bunch of dudes or like in the, when they go find that body and it's like all the state or state cops in there. And it's just like her and stuff like that. I I found like that mix where it goes from close to like wide when it's like that stuff is just really well done. Yeah. Um, and it's, and it's so effortless too. Cause like, yeah, um, exactly. Until you start like really, I don't know. Like, like I said, when I first watched that, I was completely unaware of that dynamic of the movie, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, cause it's like, cause Jodie Foster is a pretty diminutive physically, per, physical person. Like she's not, she's not large. She's like pretty yeah. like small. Um, and then like there are, you have guys like Scott Glenn. He's a big guy. Like he's mm-hmm. like, he doesn't like really, you don't really get the sense that this guy's like actually like in really good shape. Like mm-hmm. you would, if you watch like his action movies that like came out before this, cause in this, he's got the hit slick back gray hair, glasses, suits and stuff like that. Like he just looks like a stooge, mm-hmm. but I mean, he's like kind of like the, he's really well cast in this, um, right. as, uh, Jack Crawford, which is like, I mean, we'll kind of talk about like the other Harris adaptations, uh, mm-hmm. that we've all watched, but, um, yeah, I mean, I think he's like probably one of the better versions cause he doesn't like bring a lot of attention upon himself. He's like, just like, right. he's very much like it's cause it's really the Starling story and mm-hmm. her relationship with Lecter and like kind of, and then there's like the B story of like, uh, Buffalo Bill and yeah. like what he's up to. Um, yeah. So I guess like one thing I'll throw out there is like when I first started watching this movie again, like the one thing that really struck me was like the opening credits of this movie, like Mm -hmm. it has sort of like a made for television look. Did you get that at all? Yeah. Cause the credits are over like the opening scene, like the whole intro, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's it just opens up and it's like that weird font too, that I just like, Mm -hmm. for some reason I associate that with like made for television movies and like, just like lots of like, kind of like that leafy kind of fall feeling. Cause it's, it's all at the, uh, um, Quantico, the, Mm -hmm. uh, Cornica, whatever the name of it. Yeah. Um, and it's just like the training sequence and them running. And it's like, and the James Horner music kind of just like playing. Mm -hmm. Like, and it's like at that point, it's like pretty like the uninspired part of that score. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and it's just like here's the information and it's like it just feels like it could be like yeah this is like a television movie so it's like in some ways this movie is like perfect to be watched on TV because it's going to lull you in because mm-hmm. you don't realize the directions it's going to go and the sights you're going to be shown because right. um, like yeah you go from that scene to her being brought into uh, uh, Crawford's office and then like you get her like looking over at like the billboards or the yeah. bulletin boards and you just see like Bill Skins fifth <laughs> and it's just like Skins what and <laughs> yeah you you know what I think is really funny just to interrupt you for a second is like when she's walking to his office she like sees one cop she's like where's Crawford and like he points her or like he tells her where there's like a whiteboard and on the whiteboard really big at the top it just says skins and then it's like underlined like four times and then there's like a bunch of other stuff on the board and i find like i find that's really funny for some reason that it's like someone wrote it like really big on a whiteboard like skin yeah. well, um, maybe, well maybe they, maybe they're like big fans of potato skins or like the red skins yeah like they're they're close to dc so yeah yeah so anyway, sorry, you, you were saying. Oh, no, that's that like, I just like, so uh, the one thing that the movie kind of starts setting up is just like, they start using like the kind of the crime scene photography in the movie mm-hmm. to like, kind of like, they don't like, it's not overtly horrific, I guess, yeah. for the most part. Like there is obviously like these like gruesome scenes in the movie, but like there's like all the body stuff. Like you don't actually see Buffalo Bill kill anybody in the movie. No. It's always like after the fact and like mm-hmm. you see him ramping up and you kind of get the sense of like what's going to happen to uh, Catherine when he's ready to kill her. Mm-hmm. Um, but you see, like I love those photographs because those photographs are, to me are so much more suggestive of mm-hmm. like of horror and like these these women's like last moments before he killed them. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, yeah, it's 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 way more um, effective doing that than like scenes of him it working mm-hmm. like that's like the, the problem with stuff like um uh i'm sure you haven't watched them but like august underground films which nope. are just like they're like simulating snuff movies and it's uh, yeah it's, it's they're junk and it's like because they don't really like it's like they're intense experiences but they're like super so um unenjoyable it's like well who watches this stuff um like who's this who's the audience for and it's so it's such a narrow audience that that sort of thing is for whereas like mm-hmm. this is like the opposite end of that spectrum um like it's almost like silly to compare them but like that's like what i like about it it's like it just it, it puts it in your mind and like it's you like, can't help but to relate to it because obviously like uh it's not like people aren't murdered in real life like that's something that like we know happens and our experience with it generally is through these like photographs and then there's like entire like websites that exist like truecrimereport.com or something like that and like mm-hmm. people used to go to like web- websites like rotten.com and like these were like links where like real crime scene phot- photographs and like mm-hmm. the people the age of people would have looked at this stuff and you'd see it and it's like oh god because you just look at it and, yeah. you, and you put the pieces together Mm-hmm. that's just like one of the damning things about human imagination is our ability to see something and we just start constructing the rest of the story even if we exactly. don't want to yeah it's it's what you don't see that's scary right jared that's right that's what steve <laughs> stevie king would say yeah um but actually i was gonna say uh the point you just made like uh all these old like tabloid magazines like i think that gets shown really well in a manhunter with um what's uh freddie freddie niles or uh what's What's it like the report? Pretty Lounge. Yeah, the the, the national tattler. Yeah, or uh, as we all know know him affectionately now is uh, the guy from Don't Breathe who gets the uh, the baster. Whatever his name is, I don't know. Steve Lang? Steve Lang, yeah. But, anyways, (laughs) my my point is like, I think Manhunter shows that really well. Uh, And like when they talk about how 
after um, Will Graham gets like cut up, he like snuck in and like took pictures of like the injuries and like published them on the Tatler magazine or whatever. It's oh, good. okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm just saying it's, it supports what you're saying. Oh That's yeah, all. for sure. Um, Hey, RJ, have you ever told a woman you could smell her cunt? Uh, I myself can, uh, have oh. not, uh, but, uh, I will use that in a singles bar one yeah. day maybe. Um, yeah. If, if Andrea, uh, gets her way, I guess. <laughs> well, we do have, uh, the role playing, uh, Wednesdays. So, um, we, we have constructed a, a glass cage mm-hmm. and, uh, we will be reenacting that scene, I, I believe, but she'll be Hannibal and I'll be Clarice because that's how we always do Okay. It. Well, I mean, that's fine. Uh, well, have you ever flung semen at a woman? Only a couple times, but it was, uh, it, it wasn't as well received as, uh, in this one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I will always remember good old multiple migs. <laughs> um, can I, uh, so since you bring it up, like this was like another one of those movies that you, you just said, like I saw when I was a little kid cause it was on TV all the time. Yeah. And, uh, that scene always grossed me out so much. Like, I don't know what it is. I feel, I feel like it's so like violating, like, and I get like, that's the point. Yeah. But like, it always, like, it always upset me. It's so a little much. violating like, RJ. Yeah. But no, like, I, I know it's I just, know. It, I was always like, oh man, that's gross. It's like, I wish yeah. that wasn't in here. I think like when I was a kid, I didn't really like, I didn't know what he was saying. Yeah. <laughs> but mm-hmm. and then, uh, yeah. And I, I didn't know what he threw at her. Like I, I didn't, I didn't pick up on yeah. any of that, yeah, but, yeah. but then there came the point and then it's always the, um, it's more of the, 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 the questioning that, uh, Lecter gives where it's like Migs, multiple Migs in the cell next door. What did he say to you? <laughs> Just like Jodie Foster having to drawl out, there you can smell my cunt. <laughs> And, uh, and, and and then just like then his goddamn uh, Anthony Hopkins goes, ah, I see. And then like, he smells I, the air. Ah, I however cannot. And like I don't know how you cannot think that that is just like it's kind of hilarious now. <laughs> there actually after you said it last week when you're like it's secretly a comedy. There was a lot of stuff in this movie that's just really funny. It's black, like it's a black comedy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's there's a ton of like really funny things in this movie. Like, I don't know. I'll, I'll get to some of that yeah. stuff. But uh, um, well, so my next my next question, RJ, um, have you ever pretended to be handicapped moving a, a, a large chair into the back of a van to lure women into said van to knock them unconscious and then bring them back to your dungeon? They weren't coming back to the dungeon, but so like two out of three. Yeah. OK, not yeah. bad. Yeah, no, that that's the other like, cause I mean, that's like a total uh, Ted Bundy move, because oh, yeah. that was this whole thing with his like little uh, powder blue um, Volkswagens. Was like mm-hmm. he'd had the seat removed, and he had the uh, the fake cast and stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's that attention to detail. I really appreciate being kind of a serial killer aficionado. Um, nice. But yeah, no, it's just like that whole thing in his goddamn voice that he has. The hey, are, are you about a size fourteen? <laughs> And it's just, awesome. It, it's terrifying, though. Um, and then, plus, on top of that, uh, her cat didn't get fed that night. That's true. But uh, I believe that since she was a uh, such a high-priority lady, that someone did. Yeah. The next day when she went missing, someone went and took care or helped that cat out. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was one note I had. Uh, there's a lot of good kitty action in here. Yes. And uh, there is actually a detective cat. Yes, yes. And, uh, he helps solve the case. Yeah, he solves the case. Yeah. Like, because she's, like, there. She's, like, she finds these, like, really weird pictures and then just leaves them out, <laughs> which I thought was really weird because it's, like, man, her dad is going to find that. That's gross. Yeah. But then uh, the cat... Is like, hey, come over here. I got some hot clues for you. 
So mm-hmm. yeah, Detective Cat. The, yeah, that that other cat. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The next thing I had written down here was the uh, that body autopsy scene. That uh-huh. is like I like I marvel at that because I really don't know what how they did it because I'm like, is there is that a woman's like is that an actress that's actually mm-hmm. like getting to lay there? prostheticized up or is that just like a fake body because you never really get that long of a look at it intentionally um because you just like kind of get the the descriptions of like describing a human body uh as like just this like piece of evidence and um yeah you get the the whatever it is the shit under your nose thing to uh, mask the smell Mm -hmm. um which i think could be used uh at things like common conventions and wrestling shows (laughs) absolutely (laughs) That and masks. Like, that was one thing I was watching. I was like, these people should be wearing masks for sure. Yeah. Like, Clarice is, like, just open face, like, right near this, like, dead lady's body. She's like, like, so (laughs) close, touching skin. Oh, you know what? One thing I had uh, for the autopsy scene. Did you recognize uh, Bob the Goon from uh, Tim Burton's 89 Batman as the the autopsy guy? Oh, no, I didn't put that together. It was Bob, uh, Jack Nicholson's number one guy. Oh. Yeah, that's, I, I thought that was cool. There was also another uh, guy I recognized, um, the cop, when uh, Hannibal gets moved to like that, uh, I don't know, like a museum. Yes, cell. yeah, yeah. Uh, the one cop who's like gets a lot of screen time, like he comes and see, like finds Hannibal on the or like the supposed Pembry cop with his face all cut up. Yep. He goes in and finds him and he's got like a really distinctive gap tooth. I, I was like, hey, that's the guy from that Seinfeld episode where he has like spinach in his teeth all the time and he's got really bad breath so that's all i gotta say about that <laughs> no there's um yeah there's another one of the uh security guys that's in there oh i'm totally blanking out on what his name is it's like i don't see it's not, it's not charles napier but uh it might be no that's the i think that's uh, is that the guy who plays alfred <laughs> isn't jack napier what uh joker's name is in uh 89 Batman. Oh, I'm having such a, I'm having a difficult time here finding. Well, you're ruining the podcast. I'm sorry. You you um, just sprung this on me. I wasn't expecting to talk well, about I it. I can talk about some things I like while you look this up. Okay. Uh, so this version of Chilton, like in all the adaptations, Chilton's particularly uh, greasy. But I found this one was the absolute most garish. There's when the helicopter lands, he's like walking and he's got like a fur scarf with like gold <laughs> trim and stuff, and it's just like. Oh man, it's great. I love that. It is Charles Napier. <laughs> As who uh Bob? No. Um Oh the one of the cops. Yes. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Gotcha, cool. gotcha, gotcha. Um Continue. You know what's really funny? Uh when again when Hannibal's in like that museum cell, yeah. he has a, a picture that he drew of Clarice and she's yeah. holding a little lamb. Oh yeah. I find that super funny. And then uh, also when the the guard moves the paintings or the pictures underneath, there's a Bon Appetit magazine. I find that also really funny that Hannibal would be like a subscriber of like fine cuisine uh, magazines and stuff like that, which gets makes sense, especially when you watch the Hannibal TV show. He's kind of a foodie, isn't he? And the first uh, like eight minutes of the Red Dragon by Rhett, Rhett Ratner. Right, mm-hmm. right exactly. Um you know what's one thing I thought was really funny? Talking about our uh, how we're also a Simpsons podcast. When uh, the cops have that sting to go to Jamie Gum's house 
and uh, the guy brings out the flowers in like the most <laughs> conspicuous van ever. It's like it's like in The Simpsons when Marge looks out the window and there's that truck and it's like flowers by Irene. And it's, that, that that was all I could think of when I saw that. Yeah, that was funny. It's just like it's like that's really obvious, you guys. I don't know. Um, I I will have to throw out there. Uh, I also enjoy Anthony Hopkins reading of uh, Did the Rancher Make You Perform Fellatio? Did he sodomize you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I find that stuff all really gross. Not because like the dialogue <laughs> is gross, but because it's like, oh, Anthony Hopkins. He's such a ham. I guess like he's he's pretty hammy in this movie. Um, like I see some people have problems with that though. Like that's a complaint. I don't have a complaint with that. I think it's like oh. it's 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 good. <laughs> I think he's. I I never uh, thought it was bad. I always yeah. just thought it was gross. Yeah. Well, what I like about him too is he has a real like. I think they've had a pretty good string of uh, casting with like between um, uh, Nicholson too. It's just like mm-hmm. the physicality of these guys playing Lecter because like the, some people might go like an obvious route where he's like really thin and unassuming, but he's really fast mm-hmm. and like he look he's just strong and just because they have to make him strong. But like they actually come off as like they would be physically very very strong, yeah, because um, they're stout and like just look like. Mm-hmm regular guys not like idealized serial killers well that's why they got brian cox because he's the uh the definition of a man yeah <laughs> fucking right um yeah and mm-hmm. then uh yeah roger corman doing a cameo here in the movie yep yeah mm-hmm. that was nice of him um, he was uh the moth that they pulled out of the the throat right yes um would you would you fuck james gum um I, I it's hard to say Maybe if I saw him at like a bar and that song was playing, Goodbye Horses. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I'd like to prefer not to disclose at this time. Okay. And uh, how awesome is Goodbye Horses by Q Lazarus? It's one of the best songs I've ever heard. Yep. I, uh, this morning I played it while me and my girlfriend made French toast. As you so, do. Yeah. <laughs> was your penis tucked between your legs? As uh, you again, I would, prefer not, I would prefer not to disclose. Oh. There are some things that are uh, intimate between a, a man and his woman not even for the criterion creeps podcast mm, uh, not I, I, right now yeah I, watching that scene again um that much talked about scene mm-hmm. uh i really love his awkward ashamed tuck of his of his penis behind oh. his legs because mm-hmm. he just kind of he dips down and does it and you're like what mm-hmm. is he doing and then oh then you get to see it all yeah it's great uh ted levine is so good in this movie oh like, ted levine yeah he, when he's he, dancing i really like uh when uh, the lady's down in the well and she's like screaming and then he's like, Oh, <laughs> he like really oh. awkwardly like screams back at her. Like he's yeah. like, he just doesn't understand it. Oh, it's awesome. No, I, I, I don't know how, like, I don't know. Again, like, again, it's like anything he does, like all the shit he says in that movie, it's just like so funny. <laughs> it, it is. No. Yeah. yeah. It's all really funny, but I think it's wicked too. Yeah. Like, I love it. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's a loving laughter. It's not like, oh, this is so cheap or stupid. It's like, no, yeah. it's like, cause it's like the first time you watch it, it's terrifying mm-hmm. and it's scary. But like, as you watch it, you get an appreciation for like this sort of like, yeah, the dark humor in like these performances in the writing. Cause it's just like, it's so, uh, otherworldly. Like it's hard to relate to it. And that's like kind of like where like the B movie comment I made, like about this comes up. It's like, cause this movie's like, it's grounded in this reality. Like it looks realistic, I guess. Like it seems mm-hmm. like this is how it's really like being an FBI agent and profiler. But, um, 
it's like it's so like this isn't how serial killers operate like serial killers are like really boring sad pieces of shit that like do do horrible things they're like but this seems like almost like borders on like exciting because it's a movie at the end of the day and that's Mm -hmm. kind of why i like this movie because it's like i mean you can you can relate because I can relate to the serial killer experience. Um, no, yeah. it's like this movie, like, again, another thing where I'm, I'm watching this movie and, like, I'm kind of forgetting, like, where certain scenes end or, like, where in the runtime mm-hmm. it happens. Because, like, holy crap, this movie's almost done. And it's like, mm-hmm. wait, he's already meeting the U.S. senator and talking about uh, breastfeeding. And it's yeah. like, I can't believe this happened so late. And, oh, now this is happening. I'm like, wait, it feels like there's other stuff that should have happened already. But, like, it's already, nope, they already passed, they're already past that point. Mm-hmm. Right. That was uh, one thing I was going to mention, like watching this movie, like I, I didn't really even take that many notes. Like there was a period for like half an hour. I realized I was like, oh, I, f- I was like, I stopped taking notes. And it, it wasn't because like I didn't notice anything. It was just I was just enjoying the movie. I was I was totally it, it pulled me in, Jer. Yeah. And I was out. I, it took me out of my critical thinking mind. Yeah. Writing down jokes and things. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, th- I think it's like the best thing Jodie Foster's ever done. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, other than uh, what's that movie, The Accused, or uh, you know the pinball her, one? Her getting raped on a pinball machine. Yeah, that one was pretty. See, good I've too. never actually seen that movie, but I have seen the episode of South Park. Uh, <laughs> well, I I did see that movie when I was a little kid again. Oh, I watched what? a lot of movies I shouldn't have watched oh, when I was little, man. just because I was like uh, unmitigated the like accused. access to TVs during weekends when like the older kids in the family were like out. And the parents like were like, well, whatever. It's like, go watch your stories. So I was like, yeah. And then, and then you wind up watching The Accused when you're like an 11 year old boy. Yeah, that's what happens sometimes. That's what happens, man. Yeah. So um, yeah, good times. Yeah, I think my uh, letterbox review right now just stands as uh, I really wish I could get a hold of James Gum's record collection. Oh yeah, he's got some sweet sounds. Cause there's like the one I think mm-hmm. it's like uh, Mark uh, Colin Newman or something like that. There's like the one. There's like the other song that you don't get to hear as much, or it's not as iconic, I guess, as the uh, Q Lazarus. But yeah, Colin Newman a song called Alone, and I uh, I tracked that mm-hmm. down on YouTube, and yeah, it's really good too. Listen right. to that, cause yeah, that's what that's yeah. what I do. Um, but yeah, like and then like yeah, the Howard Shore score is so great. Because, uh, like, whenever I think about this movie, I guess, like, the one shot that comes to mind is when he's tied up, uh, like, Charles Napier to the cage of uh, oh, yeah. the, the electric cage in the hall. Mm-hmm. And the music just springs up. And it's like, yeah, it's like it's, it's like an opera. And, like, the music just mm-hmm. hits. And, of course, it's like, I just watched uh, The Fly, like, the other week, which is also wow. Howard Shore. And also, like, super operatic score. And, I mean, there's also, like, The Fly Opera. Mm-hmm. And yeah, no, uh, the music in this movie, like as soon as I'm watching it, it's just like, oh yeah, no, it's like a perfect score that completely suits everything about this. Right. Um, it's like, it's just a little bit over the top, but in a, in a really great way. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. I, uh, I was just thinking, uh, when you said, is this Jodie Foster's best performance? I would yeah. say yes, but I just remembered probably Maverick is pretty close. She's, <laughs> she's wicked in Maverick too. Yeah. Uh, just to get my one Mel Gibson mention in, uh, you owe, we got to get one a show. Yeah. Um, but anyways, hey, what's up with Jodie Foster's voice? Why does she talk like that? In, in the movie? In the- any in every movie, she's got a really weird like cadence or like I don't know what it is like her. I don't. I find her accents really like bizarre. I'm trying to think of her because like, she's in um, Taxi Driver and like right? she's just kind of a kid. Like it's just her voice. 
right? And then yeah, well, like, in, in this movie, she's got like the yeah, she's doing like the West the Virginia. Virginia she's she's covering up the West Virginian. Yeah, because <laughs> she's so, like, just trash. <laughs> Well, see, like, that's what I thought because we were watching this and my girlfriend was like, why is she talking like that? I was like, I don't know. I was like, I think she is from Virginia. But then I looked. I was like, oh, no, wait, she's from California. I was like, so I don't know what her. It's like, I guess her character is from Virginia. But, like, I also feel like she just talks like that in all the movies. Unless it's like Elysium where she has, like, nine different accents. But that was uh, intentional, I guess, because of Neil Blancamp, whatever. Mm -hmm. Anyways. So, so, hey, what what did your, uh, did uh, Andrea watch this with you? She did. What, yeah, what, she's watched a couple. Oh, yeah. And what did she think of this? Had she seen it before? She had seen it before. And uh, I had told her that I was watching it. And she said, oh, yeah, let me watch that one with you. I like that movie. Yeah. And uh, we watched it. And she was the exact same with me. Like, I think for the first 10 minutes, she was on her phone, which is pretty standard fare. And mm. then uh, she got pulled into it. And then she she was right there with me. Uh, edge of our seat action for the whole time. So, yeah, yeah she, she really dug it, too, which I thought was good because uh, I thought she, she watched the ones she has watched out of this whole run, uh, a couple of them I thought were like some of the lower points where I was like, oh man, it's mm. like, I wish you had watched a better one. So Yeah, you're starting to fear that she thinks you're just wasting your life with this Criterion shit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's like, I, I like to try to pick out good ones for her to watch, but um, so she's definitely not going to watch any of the Samurai ones coming up. And uh, I am not going to watch Sallow with her. So Aww. I'm, I'm going to have a hard enough time watching that one by myself. So we should make sure your roommate Scott's there with you. God, no, that'll break him. Yeah, that's, that's what we're all about here, though, is breaking <laughs> Scott, the roommate. Um, yeah. yeah, so, yeah, when I started watching this, um, uh, my girlfriend, Chanel, she, like, yeah. she loves this movie. She mm-hmm. loves it. Like, she just, like, always, she started hearing the music, and she kind of just, like, put her head down. She went, I love Clarice Starling. And then that yeah. was about it. And she's, she, yeah, because she, um, she actually wanted me to buy this, uh, the, blu- the, the Blu-ray of it. Um, because, obviously, mm-hmm. the Criterion edition of this film is long out of print. Um, yeah. And the one downer on that is the commentary track is uh, gone, and it's owned by Criterion, and they don't just license it out to uh, MGM or whoever put this out at the time. Yeah. But, uh, it is on YouTube. And so I did listen to a little bit about that. Who does the commentary on uh, that? It's actually, well, it's um, a few people because Anthony, it's, a, it's kind of an interview though. And then they just it's put like the interview over top of it. So it wasn't an actual, I don't think it was really a commentary track, like where they were watching the movie. So it's like Hopkins, uh, Foster, uh, Demi, and then um, the FBI uh, special agent that like was the, um, the point man that they talked to, like Thomas Harris probably t- talked to, I think it's John Douglas. Like, oh, okay. So he's gotcha, like, yeah. he's, he's an actual, like in the field, like uh mm-hmm. profiler type guy. And so he was like the person that they talked to for the uh, expert for when they were making the movie. Gotcha. 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 Um, so like, have you ever read any of the Thomas Harris novels? Um, so I personally haven't, but uh, I have a friend uh, who is a huge horror buff like us, yep. but uh, she also doubles down on the horror reading uh, more than I do even. Uh, and uh, she always told me that um, they were really good. And uh, I think the big point was that uh, he was super like descriptive and like uh, vivid in uh, the way he described like the cooking aspects, like stuff like that, like kind of how Hannibal really emphasizes like the scenes where he's like cooking and like that kind of thing. So uh, she always said like that was the big draw to those books was uh, he was very, um, he did a good job in describing that kind of stuff. So Okay. Because, yeah, I, I just kind of like, I mean, after the week of Thomas Harris movies, I was like, you know what? I'm going to finally read Red Dragon. I went to go look for a copy of it. I thought I bought used. I have yeah. no idea where it's gone to. So I went and bought another copy yesterday. And I'm God about damn. two chapters in. And uh, the one thing, I, like his... Uh, 
um, economy of writing. It's like it's very to the point, which I love. That's awesome. my favorite type of writing. Um, no fluff, no descriptors, just like characters, monologues, characters, dialogue, and that's all it is so far. And I love it. Oh. Um, what really sold it for me uh, was like uh, one of my friends, Mitch from uh, he like I think Red Dragon's like one of his all time favorite books. Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually I was just reading the Wikipedia entry on the Red Dragon novel and I guess like James Elroy who's probably my favorite writer he like just he, he loves it he thinks it's right. great and it inspired him to write his own uh, serial killer book Killer on the Road which uh, I read several years ago and I think I read it literally in one night which I've Ooh. never done before um, and that book right. is also really good and I think I've told you to read it at some point when you have uh, a life again yeah no uh, after my master's uh, James Elroy is up mm-hmm. on my big stack like I have um my reading, uh, since I double as a reading podcast here, I was trying to do a thing where it was a book a, a month. And so it was supposed to be my October book. And then uh, I had nothing planned for November, but uh, December was going to be Nosferatu. And then uh, January, I was going to do a James Elroy. And uh, I guess it was that one. I couldn't remember the one you were telling me to do, but yeah, it was that one. Yeah, there's a little pile of stuff you're supposed to borrow at some point in the future yeah i got lots of content yeah, uh, for sure um well i guess like yeah let's let's talk about the other movies we watched kind of in preparation for silence of the lambs sure um so we both watched manhunter Goddamn right we did and um yeah manhunter uh it was yeah i think we both watched the scream factory blu-ray that yeah. just just came out and uh yeah that movie is also incredible mm-hmm. um I only like, I think on Letterboxd, I grade it slightly below Silence of the Lambs just because I think there's just like these things about it that like date it for people that I couldn't like say to people like, yeah, it's a five-star movie. But there's Mm -hmm. these little things that don't really necessarily bother me, but I know that there'll be things that people talk about. And maybe that's like a stupid reason to like hold against a movie that potentially other people won't like this thing. But it's just like, it's just a little bit below, even though I think they're both like equally great Mm -hmm. movies. Yeah, that is stupid, and uh, frankly, I think you're stupid. Thank you. Because of that, yeah. No, I no, I agree with you. Like that stuff. I, I I'm pretty. I think you mentioned it before. It's like some of the score and the soundtrack and stuff like that, um, which I I could see. Like, because I knew Andrea like Silence of the Lambs, but I didn't watch Manhunter with her because I think she would also like. I think she would like the story and like the movie. But like that kind of stuff, I'm pretty sure would like pull her out of it a little bit. So I, I agree with you. It doesn't bother me, but I do think mm-hmm. um, it I do think I could see yeah. how other people would. It, it's, yeah, I guess it's like, does it pass the girlfriend test? Because <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. the other thing is like, because yeah, Chanel, like she like, I guess like as I've been like uh, preparing for this stuff, like she was like, yeah, I read the Thomas Harris novels in like junior high. Like Damn. she read them and she loved them and stuff like that. So she goes way back with this stuff. But like. Whenever I watch Manhunter, she could give a crap. Like, she doesn't care about it at all. Like, she just doesn't uh, watch it with me. She never, like, goes out of her way to watch it. Even though I'm like, no, no, hey, Chanel, this movie's really good. But it just doesn't, like, interest her. Um, And I don't know why those things are. I think it's because it's also, like, the, I mean, the difference of, like, a William Peterson is your lead and Jodie Foster for, like, Mm -hmm. uh, a female viewer would just be, like, kind of, like, not something you wouldn't relate to necessarily, I guess. He does Um, a good job, though. Oh, yeah. No, he's really good. Um, like he, he's kind of like, um, he kind of goes into like bad acting territory in every movie he's in at times. Cause like, even mm-hmm. in like another William Peterson movie that I totally love is, uh, to live and die in LA, mm-hmm. um, where he just like delivers some lines. He's like, he was righteous, man. <laughs> and like, it just okay. like, you go, Whoa, all right. Okay. Yeah. B- all right, Bill, and slow down. And, mm-hmm. uh, and even in like Manhunter, there's these times where he starts like getting into 
shit and he's saying lines you're like eh. he's acting now like but yeah, and it feels yeah. like acting and those are like tiny little things that like let's just William Peterson that's how he works um, but there, I think hands down Manhunter is the more beautiful of the movies uh, if you want to yep. compare it to Silence of the Lambs and we'll, mm-hmm. we're, we're going to talk about Brett Ratner's Red Dragon here uh, shortly okay, sure. but yeah so uh, watching Manhunter again the music is fantastic. I love the mm-hmm. score. Um, I, I was uh, downloading some of the tracks off of YouTube uh, right. and just listening to those, like uh, the one like Prime Movers and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and uh, Shriek Back and stuff. And it's just like, oh, this is so great. Um, like as far as like, if you want to talk about like just great examples of Michael Mann's filmmaking, like it's all there. Like his cinematography, his mm-hmm. uh, his like use of color and times of day in his movies like the right. opening shots of like just um oh it's william peterson uh, oh i'm blanking out on what's his name uh dennis farina dennis farina and yeah. uh them just sitting on the beach and like those like the them like oh it's just like gorgeous like it's just like yeah. i'm just like oh, marvel at like how good looking this movie is and then like it cuts back to dennis farina and um uh, the actress that plays William the wife, Peterson's yeah. wife, the wife, and like that's beautiful. And it's just like, holy mm-hmm. crap, this movie just keeps getting better. And like every shot is just like pristine. And like it's always looked great, but now it looks even better on Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Um, and the music is good; it keeps it going. Yep. Um, I think the only misstep for like the music is probably the end credits music. Like right at the end, the yeah, I can feel your hot beat, hot beat. Yeah, it's really out of place. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's like it wasn't that Phil Collins era. And I'm like, Ugh. and yeah. it's right at the end. And also like, okay, my criticism of Manhunter is I don't really like the ending of it that much. And that's like, not because I've read Red Dragon, because I haven't. And I, I, I didn't even actually know how Red Dragon actually ended until yeah. I watched the Brett Ratner version, which I realized was actually closer to the book in mm-hmm. some ways. Um, but like, it's so abrupt, like just the whole like raid on um, the house and him yeah. like, and like, I love the, in, in the God of Divine to run slow motion which oh, yeah. the first time I saw that movie because um, I had like I used to have the old uh, Anchor Bay DVD two pack of it with the dossier stuff in it yeah, and yeah. Um, like I remember like that scene taking forever like I thought like mm-hmm. the slow motion I thought was like almost like a minute of him just running in slow motion like and watching it now it's like no it's like so fast it's like almost over so too uh, quick I was gonna say um, so that's like my favorite part of Manhunter is the Inagata Devita yeah. part and uh like when I was watching it again, because this was the second time I watched Manhunter, I the whole time I was like, man, I just wish this scene was like ten minutes long, <laughs> and just like just like solid, just motionless shots of Tom Noonan just mm. with the strobe lights holding that shotgun, just with the yeah. song playing. I would yeah, fucking yeah, love that. Yeah, it would it'd be yeah. amazing. Yeah, and then like yeah, because it seems like because he busts through the window, he gets messed up immediately, um, yeah, and then he the just other cops him. But then there's like the weird jump cuts. Yeah, and yeah, it's no, like I, I, it's kind of like what the fuck? Like it's like unlike the rest of the whole movie, and and then it's like it's so like oh it's over and it's done and that's the end of the movie and then you can feel my hot beat, hot beat, yeah. and it's just like oh that's the end of the movie I guess and it's like okay that's it. Um, my favorite scene of that entire movie and like probably one of my all time favorite scenes in movies is um, Will Graham breaking down how. Um, the tooth fairy knows what to do when he's in the people's houses. And right. it's like the thought process with Dennis Farina talking. And then like what it is, it's, it's a um, uh, Michael Rubino score. It's like, it's a piece called Graham's theme starts playing and it mm-hmm. starts off low and it starts like crescent. It starts building. And like, it's him like working out how he did it. And it's so good. Every time I watch that goddamn scene, I'm always like, 
how does he figure it out? Like, how does he piece it together? And now I'm like, oh, yeah. And then you get you see him like figuring it out. And so you never see that in movies ever. Like you never see a guy really piece yeah. things together or it's very rare. Um, the only other place I can think of like where you actually get to really see a character like piece together rather than just like this is what it is. Is um it's the scene in Jackie Brown with Samuel Jackson when he's uh, sitting in the van with uh, Robert De Niro and he's trying to figure out what went wrong and where the money is and there's a scene where it's just him silently sitting with a gun to his head and he's thinking and like mm-hmm. you really get the sense of like yeah no he actually is thinking like the actor has completely understood his role mm-hmm. and he's doing it and it's rare because like most movies don't have time to let scenes like that breathe. Um, and so in Manhunter, like that scene is like, I, that's like my all time favorite scene in that movie. And like, it's one of my all favorite movie scenes. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, Manhunter is super, super good. Um, and so to, I guess to stick with these Thomas Harris movie viewings, I was like, you know what? I'm going to watch red dragon from Brett Ratner from 2002, because, um, when that movie came out, uh, Brett Ratner did an interview and he complained about how Manhunter was dated. The move, no one saw it because yeah, Fuck off. No, no one saw it and it didn't make any money and we better do it. And like Brian, I, I don't know if he said it, but like people always said, Brian Cox, who's this loser? Like, cause like, cause no, no people don't, I don't think people realized it was Brian Cox. Cause he's like kind of unrecognizable cause he's not fat. Yeah. <laughs> um, as, as people have grown to be aware of Brian Cox mm-hmm. and, um, they're going, oh, it's just, oh, it's stupid. It's eighties, blah, blah, blah. Um, I, I, the only thing that like probably hasn't aged well, Manhunter for me is the open, the opening credit title, that green It's like, cause it looks like a oh. horror movie. It's like reanimator yeah. green and it's glowing. And it's like that's it's, strange. It's pretty cool though. It's cool, but yeah. it's like it hasn't. But it's like very dating. Like it's like oh, yeah. It's not. Can, it's, it's not timeless. We'll say. Yeah, I'll, I'll just say something quick on Manhunter before you jump there. Okay. Um, I I understand people don't like Brian Cox either, and I think it's partially just because of partially just because of Anthony Hopkins, because like that's what people would recognize as Hannibal Lecter. Like I'm, I can guarantee most people it's had always or had only seen Anthony Hopkins and not Brian Cox. And then when you hear someone else was Hannibal, it's like, Oh, like before Mads Mikkelsen came along and then they're like, Oh, it's okay that other people do it. Sometimes they do it better. Um, but I thought Brian Cox was awesome in that. Yeah. I got to say, um, when you were talking earlier about Dennis Farina, I think he is fucking wicked in that movie. He's my favorite, uh, Jack Crawford really like more than uh, yeah I think I think he's the best like uh I think um what's his face Scott Glenn is like maybe the most manipulative Crawford and right. Lawrence Fishburne is really good too and like def- like the thing too is like Lawrence Fishburne definitely has the most exposure like because that's a televised show you see him a lot more so like I feel right. like it's easy to like grow attached to him more because you get so much more of it and that's the same with like Hugh Dancy's Will Graham or like Mads Mikkelsen is like you get to see these characters develop so it's easier to go to them but rewatching Manhunter again I was like man Dennis Farina is so fucking good in this movie plus he's just awesome so well I, I mean I guess like my counterpoint to that is like I feel like Dennis Farina just basically plays Dennis Farina like he yeah he, he's like he's uh one of those what do you call it uh character actors but he's just yeah. like he's like he's Dennis Farina um and like Michael Mann loves Dennis Farina yeah, absolutely. And so, and so he throws him and stuff, and he's like, "Yeah, no, he's a cop. Like, he totally is. Like, he's more of a cop than I think um, the Crawford character should be. Because I don't think I don't think of Crawford as a cop with a mustache. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think of him as like, you know, he's like a FBI bureaucrat agent who's like into like these like." Uh, 
darker aspects, I guess, of like man and like he's like done his reading and stuff like that. I guess like one one of the little bits I was reading too is I guess like Scott Glenn for his research for the role, he like actually went to like the behavioral uh unit and like and he watched he he also listened to some like audio tapes of like killers describing how they murdered like victims and he just like broke down and cried like he just like he was just like so and then then he became in favor of the death penalty (laughs) um yeah so there's that but yeah so okay red dragon um Uh i I really had made a point of avoiding that movie because Brett Ratner's terrible as a director. Um, I'd only really been exposed to his movies via Rush Hour. And uh, I watched like on that DVD, there was a special feature of like a short film he made that he just included to show how terrible it was. But it seems like, no, this is just seems like it's exactly what you want to do, Brett Ratner. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, so I haven't really seen too much of his movies, but, and Reg, his comments about Manhunter just like pissed me off. I'm like, I ain't, ain't never seen your movie, buddy. But yeah. now it seemed to be like, if I was ever going to watch, it i guess i should watch it now so Uh so started watching it and the whole opening scene you get the uh background of um will graham and uh hannibal lecter's first encounter or or the end of their encounter Mm -hmm. which i guess is like the end of season two of the hannibal tv show right wow it's like but of course like i think the description is like i think in the books um will graham's like stomach gets cut open with a linoleum knife like a, and and I don't, okay. it, it, there's like no attention to that at all. He just gets stabbed in the guts by Anthony Hopkins at the end of it. But they hope they set up the whole thing of like um, Hannibal Lecter basically killing a guy because he was out of tune. Mm-hmm. Like he was in the band and he's like, and it just annoyed, it offended his tastes, which is like, you don't get that at all really in the movies. But yeah. you definitely get that in the Hannibal TV show. And so they uh-huh. really, they focus hone in on that and the whole preparation of the meals and having people yep. over and feeding them. All that stuff is like, <clears throat> now is like represented in the TV show really well. So I'm like, oh, okay, so I guess they drew on that from the, this movie maybe, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's like something to uh, work on. Um, and then you get the scene on the beach, the layout. And it's like, again, it's a lot closer to the book that I've mm-hmm. started reading now. Um, and so then you get Edward Norton uh doing the the Will Graham thing but he's kind of like he's not doesn't do too much he's Ed Norton okay. I've always found Ed Norton kind of like a pretty two-dimensional actor um, I like Ed Norton I yeah I, there's nothing like I mean I guess like Fight Club American History X or yeah. the things that spring mm-hmm. to mind and then there's like that movie Primal Fear I think that he's also in You're forgetting uh, the Hulk <laughs> What I haven't seen the uh, the Incredible Hulk movie uh, I like that movie, and I think he's the best Bruce Banner. Okay. So, but uh, yeah, I like Edward Norton. Yeah. So, I mean, he's fine, but like, he's not like, uh, sure. Not, but I mean, all my problems actually in that movie boil down to uh, the lack of ambition of uh, Brett Ratner to make like a, a visually interesting movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and that seems to be like, w- like one thing I've become aware, like finding screen captures for stuff on Instagram is like, I usually watch a movie and go, oh, that's nice. And I start posting about it. But like, I'll watch a movie sometimes and be like, oh, there's really nothing worth posting about in this movie. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, that's like a mark against it. Cause it's just like, there's nothing really happening. It's like very like meat and potatoes, like direction, right. um, which is fine. I mean, <laughs> not everything has to like be like, uh, beautiful compositing and stuff like that. 
But the movie's like, I think about that movie that I watched now like a couple of days ago and I, I don't remember anything about it other than things that just start bothering me. Like right. Danny Elfman does the score and he brings absolutely nothing to the table at all. Like it's just like completely unnoteworthy. Um, and like that's the thing with like Manhunter and, and um, Silence of the Lambs is they both have memorable scores and really great like use of music. Both of yeah, them do. Yeah, yeah. And like in Red Dragon, none of that. Because apparently mm-hmm. that dates your movie. <laughs> Well, I think it's Heaven just forbid. <laughs> as you said, Brett Ratner's just unimaginative. He just yeah. he's got no uh he's got no um yeah. Yeah. I don't he's yeah, you're right. he's he's a Brett Ratner. Yeah. Um so I appreciated that they recast uh, John Heald as Chilton again and Frankie Faison as Barney. So they uh reprised their roles. Um but then like when the payoff to all that is at the end of the movie, you get uh, Chilton telling uh, Hannibal Lecter that there's a woman here to see him. And uh, he asks, oh, what's her name? And then it cuts away. And it's just like, oh, it's like yeah. what, now we're supposed to go put in our uh, Sons of the Lambs movie and then go, hey, why is Hannibal or why does Hannibal Lecter look like 10 years younger? Yeah. Because he other- obviously is like way like mm-hmm. Anthony Hopkins is in way rougher shape than he was mm-hmm. in 1991 in 2002. Like he yeah. just looks like he's heavier, old. yeah. Because like all, he's he's all this, the other thing in the uh, uh, in the flashback with him, uh, like in 1980, because that's where it picks up with him. That's like yeah. the recital hall and stuff. Like, he's got a ponytail. Oh, gross. <laughs> oh yeah, it's like of course he does because that means you're young because you have a ponytail. Mm-hmm. And so also the other thing with Red Dragon is it's supposed to be set in like 1988. Like it's supposed to be set in the same era, yeah. but because it says like 1980, and then they do the jump ahead. It's like several years. Mm-hmm. And I guess it's like, cause it's supposed to be before 1991 sounds of the lambs, I guess. But um, yeah, like nothing about this movie feels particularly eighties, which I mean, it doesn't like, it feels like it could be at any period of time and nothing about it mm-hmm. needed to be that, um, which is just like, that'd be a nice attention to detail to have, I guess, if you're going to make a point of dating your movie. Yeah. But he's lazy. He's lazy. Yeah. He doesn't give a yeah. shit about stuff so, like that. Like, that's the other thing too. Like I, I have seen that movie, but it was probably like around the time it actually came out. I mm-hmm. think I saw it. Um, but I was just thinking like that ending is so bad because like between Red Dragon and Silence of the Lambs, it's supposed to be like five or six years that anyone goes. Cause like in Silence of the Lambs, Crawford makes a point of saying he's like, nobody's like interacted with Han- uh, Hannibal Lecter for like six years. Yeah. So it's like the, the fact that it's like, is as soon as Red Dragon is done, that's when Silence of the Lamb starts. That's dumb. That's kind of what they're suggesting. Yeah. So yeah. that, again, that's just, that's lazy. Well, so that's like with that movie, like what the thing they were going with is like, because the Manhunter doesn't really act really well as a, like a precursor to Silence of the Lambs. So they yeah. got, so they got the same screenwriter on, uh, from Silence of the Lambs, Ted Talley, to do the script for Red Dragon. And he okay. basically just does like a, uh, an adaptation of the novel that's closer to it than Manhunter is. It is closer. It's got like scenes that was, when I was watching Red Dragon, I'm like, that. what's this? And then I'm like, oh, that is in the book. Mm-hmm. And then like, but I mean, they, even still like at the end of the movie, they still like don't even dare land it. Cause like, uh, this is spoilers for me who's reading the book, but I guess like uh, Dollarhide fakes his death um, and in this like contrived way. And then he just shows up at um, Will Graham's house and he just, he like cuts his face open. Like he disfigures him horribly. But in yep. the movie, they decide, oh, we can't disfigure Ed Norton, even though it's the end of the movie. And after this point, we don't even really see him again. No, he just gets yep. like cut across the chest, mm-hmm. but not across the face. And because the whole thing is like, he's now disfigured and he's going to find yep. like peace and like in his own life now. But yep. in the movie, it's like, no, no, he just gets across the chest. He's fine, folks. They, they don't do that in the TV show either. Like, yeah, because you've seen all of the show, right? 
Uh, you know, I, I only watched about the first four episodes of season three. Okay. I never actually finished it when it got into the Red Dragon stuff with Dollar Hide and stuff. Okay. Well, um, yeah, I won't spoil it either. Like, I think that's close too, but uh, they he doesn't get his face cut up either. It's something else. So. Well, that kind of goes back to um, like, well, on Game of Thrones, so on the Game of Thrones TV show, yeah. um, with with uh, Tyrion, he's supposed to be like really fucked up after uh, the Blackwater battle. Like well, he has he, no nose. Well, yeah, he gets his face like cleaved in half with an axe, but he's, and he yeah. lives. But he's like really disfigured and messed up. And but obviously, oh, it's a TV show, and we gotta like make sure people don't like feel sick watching mm-hmm. this disfigured man on a week to week basis. And so he just looks dashing still because mm-hmm. Peter Dinklage is a handsome little man and exactly. he, and he looks just fine. And it's like, he's got a nice little dueling scar, but not like, he's not like he's, he's supposed to be like monstrous in that world. Yeah. But I mean, whatever <laughs> it's TV, I guess, or like well, it's Hollywood, but I don't know. People love him too. Like they can't disfigure him. Cause then people be like, Oh, I don't like this show anymore. Yeah, well, I guess they kill off enough people, so I mean, people feel bad about that enough as it is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, Red Dragon. So I remember I thought uh, Ray Fiennes is pretty good, but uh, um, well, then again, his his real name is Ralph, so I don't know what what that's all about. <laughs> Ralph Fiennes, yeah. Um, one of the one of the letterbox reviews I saw talked about how scary he is and like how intense and stuff, eh. and I was like, eh, not really. Like nothing about it struck me as like. Mm-hmm jumping out um i guess like in the red dragon movie they kind of like try to hone in on the whole thing that like as thomas harris was getting at with his like with both books is about like the the terrible uh one of the repercussions of child abuse i guess because it's like because it's more in the book i guess and in the movie it's like you get like a you don't get a flashback but you get him uh you get like dollar hide doing the workout and like you get like him imagining the voices of his grandmother being like Mm -hmm. horrifically brutal to him and stuff yeah and then like in silence of the lambs i guess is like one of the things that demi wishes he had done more of was that like i guess like hannibal lecter is a victim of child abuse and um james gum or james gum is a victim of child abuse and like that's Mm -hmm. like an undercurrent in these things like none of these men are like born that way they Mm -hmm. were arrived at through like rearing i guess and there's these monsters so i don't know that's like i don't need that in the movie either Mm -hmm. it doesn't hurt it well that's actually so that's again the tv show that actually shows that really well because like so season three of hannibal i don't think you actually get to the red dragon story until the last five episodes of season three because like the whole first half is like uh yeah the the european chase stuff which totally killed the show for me yeah i I hated that stuff I, if I could, I'd say for you to just jump to where they go back yeah, that, and to the Red Dragon and finish. Because totally. um, actually the guy who plays Francis Dollarhide in that, uh, Richard Armitage, he was right. in like the Hobbit movies. Yep. He does a really good job. Yeah. I, There's a lot of workout scenes with hot abs. Whoa. And uh, they they really, um, really kind of go into like his story, like the childhood aspects okay. and like what actually, what Red Dragon actually means. Like there's a whole episode that I think is just Richard Armitage, like exploring like what it means to be Red Dragon, and then him eating the book and stuff like that. Like yes, okay, so. yeah, no, that was like yeah, that scene in uh the Red Dragon Rat- Ratner movie. It's just like I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like him like yeah. going to like the Brooklyn Museum and eating the print. I was like, what? And I looked up I'm like, oh, that actually happens in the book. Well, that's kind of neat. But I, like I totally understand why uh, Michael Mann wouldn't have had that in the Manhunter movie it just like it's just like another contrivance of like no now he has like the ability to travel all the way to brooklyn to go see this print in the middle of like the fact that he's like 
ramping up to eat more people or like to kill another victim or whatever. Like it, it, I think in the movie, it's fine. Like, cause Manhunter works as its own thing. It doesn't work as far as like in the Thomas Harris mythos, I guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's its own movie as it's like really mm-hmm. slick, uh, eighties dredge, uh, mm-hmm. cool movie. It's like, yeah, it's a perfect self-contained thing as a Thomas Harris thing. Maybe not. I mean, it's inspired by it or whatever. Right. Uh, whatever you want to call them that. Okay. Um, yeah. So like, yeah, the other thing I'll mention too is like when I was looking up Manhunter, it was like, oh yeah. So like the Dino De Laurentiis weird like film rights thing, as far as like why the Hannibal TV show couldn't have Clarice Starling is because mm-hmm. these two different studios own it, but like Hannibal Lecter can bounce between them all. But I guess like Dino De Laurentiis, he gave the rights of Hannibal Lecter away for free uh, to Sons Ooh. of the Lambs because Manhunter did so badly and he didn't yeah. care at the time. Okay. But now he gets those rights, and now he can do whatever he wants with it, including, yeah. hey, let's, hey, Thomas Harris, you should keep writing books like Hannibal Rising, which I have not watched, have no plan on watching it. And there's also yeah. uh, the issue of uh, Ridley Scott's Hannibal, which I haven't watched since it came out on uh, DVD way back yeah. when, and I still don't want to watch that movie yeah, again. I, con- I contemplated that too because I have seen Hannibal, but I haven't seen Hannibal Rising. And like this week, I was like, I could watch that for the show, but then again, it's like I have such a little time in the next like two weeks. It's like I I don't think I'll being able to watch the next movie or the three movies for the next episode is going to be a challenge yeah. enough. I can't fill in with bad movies like Hannibal and Hannibal Rising. Yeah, yeah, I would have loved to trim the sprite and it's like all like Thomas Harris all the time. But I mean, I I don't have enough time yeah. to finish reading all his books and watching all these novel adaptations and then live my life. Sorry, exactly. folks. I wish I, I really wanted to. <laughs> some ways, audiobook, audiobook. Um, yeah. So I also. Uh, I was reading about Thomas Harris, and I guess he hasn't done an interview since 1976. Whoa, that's fucking weird. Yeah, like, I mean, obviously people, like, associate with him and talk with him and stuff like that, but he doesn't do interviews. He didn't get interviewed, like, when Silence of the Lambs came out? No, he, or he wouldn't give them. He wouldn't give interviews. He, he didn't so, see any point to it. He's is like he this, like a weirdo? Or no, is he? like, you know, he's apparently totally normal. Like, he's a normal guy, just like, he's an author who's like, well, I read my books if you want to, like, talk to okay. me I guess and like he's married and like he's a southern guy and uh yeah he just kind of is off in his own world writing Hannibal books because like his first mm. book is uh, Black Sunday which I uh did yeah. acquire a copy of and I again didn't have time to watch it because it's like a football blimp terrorist movie or something like that and it's got um oh what's his name um, Sideshow Bob Sideshow Bob's in it that's who um mm. yeah I, I wish I could have watched it too, but I think it's supposed it don't to be, matter. It's a 70s. Story. I know it's a neither here nor there type of yeah. thing. Um, but what else could we say about this here deal? Oh, uh, some other fun things about Sounds of the Lambs, the novel. Uh, Roald Dahl greatly enjoyed the novel. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's weird. Dave, David okay. Foster Wallace. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He uh, used the book as part of his curriculum while teaching uh, college before he died. Um, and he also mm-hmm. he also included Red Dragon on his list of t- uh, 10 favorite novels with Sounds of the Lambs. So he was a big fan. Everyone seems to like that old T. Harris. Uh, yeah, but I can't trust David Foster Wallace. Come on, haven't you tried reading Infinite Jest? Yeah, I read the first page, and that's all I could get through. And I think anyone who says they've read that book is a liar, and anyone who says they that's like their favorite book is completely full of shit. Don't you want to learn more about tennis school? Fuck it, no. Why, why would anybody? I, I don't get it, man. I read the first page like six times on like separate occasions. I was like, yep. I'll give it a try. And I was just like, no, this ain't for me. I can't do it. Yeah, at my... um. In my comic store job, there was this like mom, 
this like hot mom with her like little kid that like played magic. Oh. And like she was like hanging around and like reading Infinite Jest. And I'm like, what the hell? Mm-hmm. And like, she, I mean, it seemed like, and she was coming in like on a weekly basis and like she'd be sitting in the back with like all these like, like, 18 to 25 year old dudes and like her, her like son's playing with them and she's just sitting around playing infinite jest and I think she was like flirting with one of the other like parents of like one of the other kids that's there gross and I'm like oh you guys are going to talk about infinite jest right and uh, it's like I don't know if she ever finished it because she didn't seem to be getting through it very fast because that bookmark wasn't moving very quickly because um, it's a bad book yeah I think she works at a uh, liquor store uh, over at Costco which one the only one in town the Costco liquor yeah I'm a frequent there. Well, I think she works there. Well, so she you can, probably you, knows me as a dirtbag. You, you can go accost her about David Foster Wallace. I will. I'll go tell her she's full of shit, and then I'll buy my weekly allotment of booze, and she'll just write me off as a drunk like I am. Yeah. So, all right. Enough of that. Enough um, of that. So, oh, oh, I, I found some uh, some controversy on the Wikipedia page about Sons of the Lambs, oh. the film, um, about its uh, depictions of transsexuals. Ah. Yes. So uh, I'll just read it here. Upon its release, The Sons of the Lambs was criticized by members of the LGBT community for its portrayal of Buffalo Bill as bisexual and transsexual. In response to the critiques, Demi replied that Buffalo Bill wasn't a gay character. He was a tormented man who hated himself and wished he was a woman because that would have made him as far away from himself as he possibly could be. Demi mm-hmm. added that he came to realize that there was a tremendous absence of positive gay characters in movies. But don't they address that in the movie itself? Like, that's it's the whole kind point. Of, it's a real missable line. And I could definitely see, like, where people, like, kind of, like, if you think about when you were a kid, like, how yeah. many, like, men dressing as women movies had you watched where, like, the person wasn't also a serial killer? Like, this I just mentioned, no I, <laughs> there you go. That And that, and that was all an elaborate uh, ploy. <laughs> Yeah, but it's like most uh, of the times, like a movie like Dressed to Kill, it's like oh Michael Caine, mm-hmm. he dresses as a woman and he's a killer. Like that's a real like thing mm-hmm. that was like going around. Like that's like the okay. it's in comics to this day. Like there was like that Batgirl comic that came out like a couple years yeah. ago where it's like another like trans serial killer thing. It's like and it's like well what's what's the reason for that? And it's like oh I guess like I mean Sons of the Lambs came out after uh, Dressed to Kill, so maybe Brian De Palma's to blame. <laughs> but I don't know. Like it's just like uh, it goes back further because there's um yeah. there was the one movie uh, Private Parts. Which is, uh, yeah, and it's like, again, it's like another, like, trans killer. It's like this idea that, well, if you're trans, you're probably also a serial killer. And that was, like, mm-hmm. a real thing in movies for years and years. Yeah. Or or you're supposed to be made fun of. And yeah. that and it sucks. But Well, yeah. I, I understand, like, why people take issue with that. But I thought they did a good, like, I noticed when the movie was on. They're like, I, because, like, there's a whole point where Clarice is, like, he wants to be transgendered or something like that. And, like, uh, Hannibal's, like, no. No. Because, like, they talk about how they're, like, typically, like, bisexual and, like, transgender people aren't violent and don't have violent tendencies. Yeah. And, like, they make a point of it being, like, well, he's not actually transgendered. Yeah. He's just mad about it. It's, like, so go look at all the places that do, like, sexual reassignment uh, surgeries. And I'm sure he was, like applied but denied and he was so yeah there's a jaw there's a guess there's a deleted scene where uh it's like crawford is talking to like a a surgeon at john hopkins and he's accusing it of like this is stereotyping or something like that and it's like addressed once again it's like no that he he thinks he's a he's transgender or yeah but he's but he's not he's like out of his mind and he's Hmm. dangerous like it's an excuse basically exactly yeah 
Um, the other little bit from the Wikipedia page is, in a 1992 interview with Playboy magazine, notable feminist and women's rights advocate Betty Friedan stated, oh. I thought it was absolutely outrageous that The Silence of the Lambs won four, it's actually five, Oscars. I'm not saying that the movie shouldn't have been shown. I'm not denying the movie was an artistic triumph, but it was about the evisceration, the skinning alive of women. That is what I find offensive. <laughs> Oh, uh, <laughs> controversial take. I find it offensive to skin people. Yeah. Uh, I, I know I, that's not the what most people think, but uh, I have to take a stand on that. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's like, yeah, so, I mean, it's not gone with the wind. It's not yeah. out of Africa. It's not ordinary people. It's kind of like why Silence of the Lambs is like this unusual movie that, uh, yeah, it's like it was that damn popular and that like big of a movie that it actually won Best Picture. And it just happens to have, you know, a woman's skin suit. <laughs> Unbelievable. That we get one shot of only. Yeah, it's a good shot too. Yeah. Um, so any other thoughts about the hop the the Harris universe, about Sounds of the Lambs? Uh no. I think it's cool. I dig it. That's about it. Yeah. It is a all time classic, baby. Mm-hmm. Um which brings us to my favorite part of the show. Who uh, hates this movie? Who okay. who hates this fucking movie? Um, my, my, uh, you know, Gene Siskel, he, yeah. di- he didn't see what the fuss was all about. He dismissed the movie as a star studded freak show and writing that the Sansa Lambs was a case of much ado about nothing. Oh God. He seems like a prude. Yeah. If he called it a freak show. Well, he's up there like, yeah, Michelle Pfeiffer and, uh, Sean Connery is that uh, people were like, Ooh, uh, it's icky. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, we have uh, Josiah Morgan, who I'm pretty sure I might have even talked about before on this show. Oh, uh, God. He gave this half a star. Sure. The career-defining Anthony Hopkins performance turns out to be just as fatuous as most of the shots and just as inoffensive as the screenplay, which is exactly the thing that frustrates me the most. If a film intends to be offensive and manages to offend me, then it's done something right. But when something wants to disturb, create tension, or offend, and fails... uh, Examples, Sicario, Throw Away Your Books, Rally in the Streets, Stoker... That's a surefire way into the annals of what I class as the weakest films I've seen. What? Yeah. What does he mean by like... This movie set out to offend and it failed to offend him. Ergo, it sucks. But like, I don't understand either. Like, so he says he only likes movies that uh, offend him? Yep. What is... Like, I don't get it. Like... Well, shut up. That's why. Shut up. Is he a masochist? Fire Lord Azulus gives this one star. Okay. So if you wanted a gross misinterpretation of Starling's character, then this is the film for you. Basically, the only good things about this were the wardrobe and the paralleling of the break-ins. Like, that was really well done. But everything else was terrible. All the Clarice plus Lester Lecter scenes sucked. S-ucked. You don't see, like, any Starling's fire. Like, what was that about anyway? How shaky she is while holding her gun? She was top of her class? The best shot in the academy? Realistic? Fucking no. Why does she cry all the time? That's no not true to her character at all. Why do women always have to cry in films? What douchebag is responsible for this? I can't believe it won so many awards, to be honest. Like, what the hell is that about? That's really dumb. Um, like, 
I think it's pretty obvious that like ability in like testing scenarios and then real life are very different. Like go talk to like a cop who's actually fired his weapon like in real life and ask him what it, if it was the same as a shooting range. Well, yeah, I mean, she's obviously come out of school and it's also in the situation where it's like, yeah, she's now found herself in the realm of the serial killer. And it's like, oh my God, I can't believe this has just happened. You would be nervous as hell because you're like, oh, do I just drop this guy now? Or like, yeah, yeah there's like obvious these things that it's like, oh, she's a cold calculated killer. It's like, no, no, she is. no, no, no one is. And it's like, uh, that's not the character like, at all. Like, that's the whole point of like when she cries out of the, when she leaves the facility, like there's a flashback of her with her dad. Like it's the point is showing that like, she's like a human, she's a human. Like she has like emotions about things. Like she's has memories of stuff and like you get upset. Like, <sighs> what, what does he mean by the only good thing is the wardrobe? Like I, <laughs> the clothes. Yeah. Like other than like, Chilton's garish scarf. I I couldn't even like. I don't understand. Like, there's not a single piece of clothing that's like remembering uh, to me. Well, yeah, I'd, I'd say that like the uh, Jodie Foster's clothes, like the Clarice Starling, like the brown kind of like yeah. suit, like the unassuming kind of like she's trying to cover up the fact that she's like female, or like she's like yeah. wearing a very like non just like I'm not attractive. Don't look at me like I'm just a sex object. But even yeah. then, even when she does, um, yeah, okay. which always reminds me, there's like a the one great Alan Moore quote about like he's glad <laughs> if he was a woman, he would walk around in like six sweaters and carry around a pair of scissors in his purse because yeah. men are horrible the, the man the, the world of men is horrible yeah that's true <laughs> um next review here one star uh, by blue god hollywood right. crap that's, <laughs> is that, that it that's it um uh, and then right. uh, anthony nesbitt gives it two and a half stars oh it's horribly overrated not least compared to manhunter um, I guess that means Manhunter's really good. Never a fan of Howard Shore either. Directed by someone who really loves cliches, Jonathan Demi. Come on down. Mm. One of, like one of the thorough lines Boring. I saw amongst a lot of the like negative reviews on this were like, "It's no Manhunter. People should just watch Manhunter instead." I think that's really unfair to say that because, like, as we've discussed, we both really like Manhunter. Yeah, and, I, I think and we really like this too. Like, there's no reason you can't like both. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think yeah, Silence Lambs is like. Uh, a movie I could I should I could easily recommend to like everybody. Manhunter yeah. I think it's like an all time great movie that like I probably I, I wish I could recommend it to everybody, but it seems like people like are more likely against it for some reason. Unless you're like real movie movie people love this movie people love yeah. Manhunter. That's one thing. Internet movie people they love Manhunter. That's their pick. Um, and rightfully and and it's and it's a great great movie. Um, Silence of the Lambs is also a great great movie. Yeah, I think it's I would say that it's actually my favorite movie so far that we've watched. Ooh, hot take. Yeah. I, 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 it's probably a mix of nostalgia. Um, yeah. And like, I just like, I think this movie is super good. Mm-hmm. Um, I like, there's so much I enjoy about it. Um, yeah. I, I gotcha. I love it. I gotcha. It's, it's wicked. People listening, if you haven't mm-hmm. watched it already, probably watch it. Maybe like, maybe there'll be something people will see that I don't, or I just dismiss because it's great. I don't care. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that all being said, that's another one in the can. Uh, After the break, we'll do some wrap up and we'll talk about what we're talking about next. (laughs) I'm looking down the hole. You're looking up at me. You're cold and tired. That is easy to see. Lower the rope to you. A bucket on the line. Your membrane will be soft and smooth and your heart will be mine. It rubs the lotion on its skin. 
RJ, are you having anyone for dinner tonight? An old friend. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. You can follow us on the Twitter at Criterion Creeps. Email us, please, uh, criterioncreeps at gmail.com. We'll read your email. We love emails. They're great. Sure do. Tell us what you're looking forward to. Tell us your favorite Criterions, your Criterion memories, whatever. we got a Facebook page. There's a Criterion Creeps Tumblr. We're on Instagram. We're posting stuff all the time. It makes me laugh. Mm-hmm. We're on Letterboxd. we got a list of all the movies we've talked about. It's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. RJ's got a ranked list. I've got a ranked list, but it's secret. <gasps> I'm Jared secret. Duncan. He's Barnloaf over there at the Letterboxd. Uh, SoundCloud, uh-huh. Stitcher, iTunes, subscribe, rate us. Review. It's all good. Yeah, reviews. Tell us how we're failing. Because mm-hmm. I know we are. Do all that stuff. Write us a review about what things you skin for your suit. Yeah. What's all... your suit made out of? Squirrels? Who knows? Who knows? We want to know. Next week, we've got our fucking work cut out for us, people. Uh, our oh. first trilogy. Back to the land of the samurai and Toshiro Mifune. And this time in color. The Samurai Trilogy. Directed by Hiroshi Inagaki. From between 1954 and 1956, three motherfucking movies. We're going to be doing it all uh-huh. in one goddamn episode. I hate it. Uh, I hate it. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. that's that. Yes. Yeah. I might not come back next week. Okay. Yeah, that'll be a fun listen for everybody. <laughs> yep. Bye, guys. Peace.